of them all. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Devil woman! Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the most terrifying of them all? The Countess Dracula. There once was a Countess, young and fair, with tender skin and flaxen hair. Oh, Countess, how do you keep your looks? What secrets in these ancient books? The book! Blood sacrifices. Please help me. I don't know what's happened to me. Don't you realize that you get uglier each time you get old? And you can't go on killing forever? Why not? Do your lovers know how you cling to youth? Dare you tell them the dreadful truth? These walls could tell, but cannot speak of the sudden cry, the muffled shriek. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the most terrifying of them all? The Countess Dracula. Julie! Have I changed so much? I don't know what's happened to me. Blood. Who's blood? Devil woman. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your co-host. I'm sitting here with my co-hosts, Allie Chapel and Paul Farrell. Everyone, how are you this evening? Doing good. Super good. That's it. That's that's all I'm getting in the way of it. Like I, well, I'm I, good and she's yeah, super you good. You have to phone so. it in. I'm going to phone it in. The real question is, are, what level of good are you, Jinx? Because I'm good. She's super good. What What are you, good-wise? I'm, like, I'm like good-ish, but willing to good-ish. fake it. So. Okay. Well, at least you're honest. I appreciate it. Exactly. That. Solid energy to bring to the podcast tonight. <laughs> this, is, this is what our <laughs> listeners tune in for, you know? And good night, everyone! It's the honesty. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a while since we've recorded. It's been like a whole half month or two weeks, one or the other. And, uh, yeah, I've kind of missed it. Weirdly enough, I should go ahead and tell listeners it's my fault that they didn't get an episode last week. Everyone was raring to uh, talk some Countess Dracula, and I had to go and get, like, some weird sort of sinus head infection. Ford is trying to kill me in any number of ways sort of thing. And, uh, unfortunately, I had to sit last week out, and you both were nice enough to just uh, wait on me so that we could all talk Countess Dracula together. So my hat's off to you for that, and my apologies to listeners out there. But uh, I'm back. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Uh, can't remember a damn thing about Countess Dracula, having just seen it two weeks ago. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> that bodes well. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, do it. I, I, mean. I, I, you know, it's it's a movie about Lady Dracula. How, how difficult could it be? Yeah. That's that what about sums it up. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we'll go ahead and do the normal thing, which everyone expects at this point, and go ahead and talk some recent watches amongst ourselves. Allie, what have you seen in the last two weeks that you really dug horror-wise? Ooh, okay, so not exactly horror, but in, like, the Paul, what have you seen recently, (laughs) (laughs) horror-wise? No, but, like, I don't know where to place them, because I saw The Green Knight, which I don't know if you guys have seen yet, but it is breathtaking it is a stunning film and then i loved it yeah and then i also saw old which again don't really know where to place that either it's 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 you know that's a movie it's a movie i like and i thought it was fun (laughs) um and then have you guys seen 
the new move, the new Nicolas Cage movie, Pig. Yes. Oh, that movie was so good. It blew me away how damn good that film was. He like needs an Oscar for that role. Like it was just. Oh, it was so good. Would you? I. I mean, you know. I think Cage, and that movie definitely proves that Cage can be absolutely amazing when he is used correctly. And uh, and even when, you know, I remember reading that Fango interview with him ages ago where he talked about the fact that, you know, he he kind of did that part of his career, you know, like the, the dramatic actor thing. And then he did, you know, kind of the action hero thing. And then he kind of entered a point in his career where he wanted to do like the mega acting, you know, just being wild and crazy and pushing it as far as he could go. And I, I, I think it's kind of unfortunate that that made him a little bit of a joke in the eyes of some. And admittedly, like it doesn't always work. I, I, I will never miss an opportunity to talk about how fucking terrible the wicker man is, for example, but, um, terribly awesome. It's oh, <laughs> a weird, it's a weird sound you just made. Ah, that movie. It's I very weird. I scared friends walking out of that movie. I ranted and raved so much. I was, uh, yeah, I, I'm still, Oh God, I'm getting angry now. I need a drink. Um, <laughs> no, I, I despise that movie anyway, but no, he, he had, um, you know, he had a bad run there for a while, but I still thought, you know, it, it's not for a lack of effort though. He's not Bruce Willis. He's not just phoning it in, you know, he, you can always tell that the man puts effort into it, even if it's ultimately not, you know, even if it doesn't work, even if it doesn't land, you know, but by God, like pig, I think finds him just about as good as he's ever been. And I would put it on par with his work in like leaving Las Vegas and Ali, I agree with you entirely. Like if, if the man ever did Academy award worthy work, this movie is it. Oh my God. Yeah. A thousand percent. Paul, have you seen it? I haven't yet. And I'm sad because you guys are talking about it make me really want to watch it i i'm going to rent it i'm just i'm behind right now i need to i need to catch up with it that's fair did you watch any of the movies we recommended to you did you watch I... <laughs> what, what did you recommend <laughs> wow <laughs> i have it written down somewhere i watched the empty man oh, chance like told me to watch the empty man the empty so man i watched that that's the thing mm-hmm. i can talk about <laughs> We Do you cook? want me to talk about the empty man? I feel like I'm interrupting now. No, well, I will say, uh, Ali, just to go back to Pig for a second. Yeah. Would you, even though it's not, it's not horror with capital it's H. Certainly, horror. it is dark as all hell. Like, how how would you recommend it to listeners out there who perhaps only lean toward the horror genre? Like, what are they going to find in Pig? Do you think that is is going to draw them in? Well, it was pitched to me as Nicolas Cage has a truffle hunting pig and they could have stopped right there. I'd have been like, cool, I'll watch that movie. <laughs> but then they're like, but then the pig gets stolen. And he has to get vengeance, John Wick style. And I was like, Oh, okay. But it's not John Wick style. It goes into this weird culinary underground, which is like a weird phrase in its own because you feel like that shouldn't be a thing. It's just, oh, yeah, like fight club, the fight club sequence, but with people in the, you know, food industry, that was industry and, but it felt real as weird as it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I also just felt like the entire movie, I was just like, I bet Nicolas Cage just smelled terrible because he wore he didn't change. He didn't shower. And I'm like, I bet he just played into that. Like, yeah, I'm into this, this greasy, dirty. He got the shit kicked out of him so many times and didn't even bother to clean up the blood. He looks homeless. Like, and he's going to like these like Michelin star restaurants and you're like, hmm. This is so, so beautiful. <laughs> I, You know, it's funny that you mentioned John Wick because that's totally kind of what I was expecting out of the movie. And if we're being honest, I think that's kind of what the marketing was trying to hint at. Like, there are so many times in the movie where that character is kind of put into a corner or he, he is facing off with someone and you're like, oh, this is it. This is the part mm-hmm. where he's going to get like crazy. He's going to beat somebody's ass. He's going to get... And what's amazing to me, and maybe the thing that I appreciated most about the movie, without getting into spoiler territory, Paul, I know you haven't seen it yet, so I'm not going to get into spoilers, but I'll just talk vaguely here. What I appreciated most about the movie is that it's not about a guy using violence. It's about a guy using kindness and reason Mm -hmm. in a world that, you know, is very reactionary and does, you know, resort to violence at the drop of a hat. And I thought that was kind of... For the kind of setup that the movie has, I just thought that was really refreshing. And the fact that it worked so well and was still kind of cathartic in its own way by the end of the movie, I, I, it felt like a movie that we kind of need right now. And I just, I, I can't speak highly enough of this movie. It might be my favorite movie of the year. I definitely think it's my favorite movie of the year. It's just wow. like the acting is so good. And I don't know if I'm like on an Alex Wolf kick lately because he's also in it. And I also just saw old, but like. Ugh. That that dude has got a huge career in front of him. Like he is amazing. Yeah. Oh, he's and what's the range that he has? I mean, just a couple of years ago he was in Hereditary, but then he was also one of the nerdy leads in the Jumanji films. But then you also see him in yeah. Old, which you know my issues with that movie aside, he's fantastic in it. Uh, yeah. And then he plays a completely he plays such a weaselly little bastard and pig. Oh, he does. He makes but you human. feel for him. You're like, he just wants to be his own person. He doesn't want to be like his dad and like, oh. Yeah, well, that's what's great about it is that everything that you see in him in the beginning is totally his dad. And over the course of the movie, you see him sort of shed everything that is his father, you know, to kind of get to who he is. You know, I, I God, I, I love that movie so much. I wanted to watch it again. I'm like definitely going to watch it again. I just watched it like literally two nights ago and I was like, this might be a perfect film. Like it's, it's brutal and it's beautiful and it's like, it's sad and it's heartwarming and there's like, there's closure in it. And it's just, oh, it was just so lovely. And that whole dinner scene at like the tail end of the movie, just like, oh, that broke me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, especially the... Yeah, we can't dive into spoilers. I'm sorry, Paul. Yeah, we'll, 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 this whole movie. You, you've definitely <laughs> sold me on this movie. I was already sold, Have but now, like, now I just want to go. Now I kind of want to just like stop the podcast and go watch it real quick. So hold on. Yeah, be, 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 be back in 90 minutes. I'm just gonna rewatch Pig. <laughs> I mean, we yeah, let's just do that. Like quietly watch Pig, and we'll put yeah. that out as a podcast. There is, um, a, I'll say one final thing about Pig 2. There is a sequence with him. It's not the dinner table sequence at the end alley, but it's the one with he and uh, Alex Wolf when they go to the weird, sort of pretentious as all hell. Um, oh, with the chef? Yeah, and the chef comes out and sits with them, and it's all like 
you know, it's like, do places like this even exist? Like, is food even prepared in this sort of way? And then Cage has that monologue mm-hmm. that he gives at the end of that scene. And I was like, this might be one of the finest moments of acting this guy's had in his entire career. I like, I need wow. Nicholas Cage to teach a master class on acting because he can go from doing like Vampire's Kiss, where he just yells the alphabet at you, to <laughs> like this, where he is like, like, he's just so grounded, and it's just so wonderful. He's talking about how, like, you said you wanted to start a pub. Where is your pub? Why are you doing this? You're not happy here. And you're just like, oh, my God. We get so few things to really care about. Like, when he says that, it's just kind of like, I, at that moment in the movie, it kind of leveled me. I was like, damn it. Like, well done, Nicolas Cage. Well done, everyone. Like Everyone, that whole scene was just, oof. Paul, watch Pig, what we're getting at yeah, here. Yeah, watch Pig. Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, picking up on that. So I am <laughs> going to do that. Uh, and it's it's available to stream, so I, I can watch it. See, a lot of the movies, you know, because I don't really do theaters yet. So it's like, I can't see Old. I can't see Green Knight. But I can see Pig. Mm-hmm. That I can see. Although, I mean, if you can, go and see Green Knight. That's also a really gorgeous film. And it's so nice. And Dev Patel is amazing. I, I can't wait to see it. The, the second it's available on VOD, I will I will rent it. I promise. Very cool, Paul. How about you? What have you uh, What have you seen in the last two weeks? <clears throat> um, I've seen a handful of things. I already kind of said I saw The Empty Man, so I should probably talk about that. Uh, it's and, and it's another man because I watched Wrath of Man too. You had me watch two very. Uh, you know, dark movies. <laughs> Waiting for the uh, man cinematic universe where the empty man goes up against <clears throat> the wrath of Jason Statham's. Well, uh, it kind of works because I, by the my... end of wrath of man, Jason Statham basically is an empty man. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, at any rate, uh, empty man was very, very good. Uh, I really liked it a lot. Um, it's a better I, than you think it's going to be with a name like the empty man. Yeah. And it, and it gets better with every sort of layer right like to me you know it it sort of begins as kind of a urban legend movie where it's like oh take the take the bottle to the bridge and say the whisper the empty man and he's gonna come and do things you know it's very sort of candy man-esque it's like you know say his name five times in a mirror and it and it has that sort of teen movie vibe going and then very quickly uh, that sort of transitions into this like sort of mystical ancient evil lovecraftian lore kind of situation um mixed with a bit of a psychological thriller procedural kind of movie um and i really enjoyed how the movie just constantly shifted its dna uh to kind of further delve into um you know what it was ultimately going to be about um, it gave me very strong kill list vibes, uh, for that reason. Like it just, it's that slow progression into something, you know, it's grounded in reality, but where it's going definitely isn't. Um, and sort of, it, it's not really interested in giving you all of the information, like answering all of your questions, it's just going to do what it's going to do. And when it gets there, it almost doesn't matter how much sense it all makes. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, part of it is almost like 
how unknowable that evil is. You know, we know just enough about it to fear it, but if they tried explaining it any more by the end, I think it would have lessened the impact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very it's rare that you see horror operating on such a cosmic scale while still managing to feel sort of grounded in like relatable human emotions. Um and I, I really appreciate it. And it and I watched it with my wife, who is is very easily scared by things like this and it really screwed her up <laughs> like she was <laughs> terrified like she couldn't sleep she was like she put on like a muppet movie she she always puts on muppet treasure island when she can't sleep which is is sort of a i find a difficult movie to sleep to um <laughs> but but a fun movie but um yeah and she was like texting me the next day she was like she was like, I couldn't sleep last night because I was having nightmares. And then I remembered that nightmares were just a, a construct brought onto us by the empty man. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, th- I think this movie really got to you. <laughs> it I, keep thre- did. I keep threatening to take an empty bottle to a bridge and then she hits me, uh, which is fair. But um, yeah, so no, I, I really enjoyed uh, The Empty Man. It was it was super fun, and it, it's sad that it kind of got an unceremonious release during the pandemic. It should have had a, a bigger, you know, release and given it a, a larger fan base early on. I mean, th- does unceremonious even cover when they won't even give the damn thing a Blu-ray? Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have a DVD Yeah, it's crazy. Release. Like, I literally, just because I'm a physical media nut... I bought a used DVD out of Redbox just because, <laughs> just so that well, I have this. I mean, there's several movies from pandemic times that never got, I mean, I still can't buy my favorite movie of last year on Blu-ray. I can't get freaking spontaneous. I love spontaneous. That movie was Blu-ray, really, there's no Blu-ray. There's a DVD, but there's no Blu-ray. And that drives me crazy. That movie's so good. It needs mm-hmm. a Blu-ray. Um, yeah, that's God, I thought there was a Blu-ray. Uh, no, I mean, if, if, unless it was released like in the last like month or two, but like I'm pretty sure it still doesn't have one because I I keep close tabs on that one. <laughs> no, Paul, you're right. DVD and digital only. What the hell? It's insane. Yeah, insane. But I digress. But yeah. Huh. Damn it. Damn it to hell. All right. Uh, well, yeah, that's that makes two of the best movies of the past year that have not gotten solid releases. I yeah, what scares me about that, too, is that is a 20th Century Fox dump of a release. So is Disney going to feel compelled at any point to put out a Blu-ray of a movie that did um, seven dollars at the box office? You know, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh are they the type to license out their stuff to boutique labels like Scream Factory? You know, probably not. So um, yeah, it's just kind of a bummer. Nice. Unless, you know, I could see um, maybe it'll pop up on Netflix and, you know, stir something up there. And then, yeah, because this movie does have, I see a lot of people talking about it. And it, <laughs> well, appears it's cause it, it has a massive fan base, you know, or a cult it, fan base anyway. Yeah, I think I think it's getting a lot of play because it just hit HBO. Yes, yeah, um, it's on Crave, so like I think a lot more people are seeing it now. Yeah, yeah, that's how I saw it. It showed up on my HBO account, so I was like, oh, you know, and I saw a lot of people online saying like, "Oh, it's on HBO now; we can all watch it." 
So I think it's it's starting to gain momentum. I feel like it's one that will probably get a Blu-ray eventually, but that's just my hope. I mean, I think the sad reality, though, is like we're in that time now where these movies, especially movies that are made for streaming services, like it's very possible we'll never get them on Blu-ray. Bummer. I know it's horrible. It's well, it's like the Fear Street movies. Like, you know, it's I I believe that we'll probably get something. We're not going to get that on Blu-ray. We probably will, but it's sad that it's even a question. Like, that shouldn't even be, like, a concern. You know, like, it it should 100% be coming to Blu-ray, but we're all like, will it? Will it come? You know? But they haven't even released the third season of Stranger Things on Blu-ray. They did the first two, but not the third one. Imagine they're waiting until the fourth season comes out. They'll put out the physical release of three to kind of market it, maybe. Um very possible. Maybe. Fingers crossed. I don't Very know. Uh, try and promote it. But uh, no, I, I, man, I love the empty man. I, I was compelled after watching it to, uh, to buy the three graphic novels, uh, which apparently the movie is not a direct adaptation, but it acts as sort of a uh, kind of a loose prequel. So if you want to see kind of like what would happen after the events of the movie, then the graphic novels kind of have you covered because when they begin, there's always, well, I don't want to get too spoilery for people who haven't seen the movie, but let's just say, um, the, the virus that is the empty man is already kind of a widespread thing by the time the graphic novel series even begins. So, uh, which is kind of a neat place. And plus the, the graphic novels are written by Cullen Bunn, who is one of the best horror writers in comics right now. He's brilliant. So, uh, definitely worth checking out. I I'll ask both of you, did you find the movie to be overly long? Because that was one of the criticisms I heard before the, before I saw the movie. And I remember watching it thinking one, I thought the movie moved kind of like a bat out of hell. And two, I would not sacrifice that prologue for anything, which I think is one of the best horror shorts I've seen in ages. Yeah, I agree. Like, it was also one of the few films in the last year that I got to see in theaters. It was like, we had a lull here with COVID, so we were like, yes, we can go to a theater, and, like, it was the only film playing. And, like, I don't know if I was just sad and wanted to be in a movie theater for like 12 hours but i was like i don't care this movie could be like another two hours long and i'd still like really get a kick (laughs) out of it and also just anytime steven root shows up in anything i'm like oh there's my baby i just love him so much (laughs) and how fucking quietly terrifying is he in that movie as like a weird pseudo cult leader like he's so creepy and slimy but i'm also here for it i'm like cool i'll join whenever you're whatever you're pitching like I think I think every horror movie should have like Steven Root come in like two thirds of the way through and give a like a, a weird monologue about what's going on. Yeah, like, he has a seminar midway through every horror movie. Yeah, like every movie. <laughs> Can you imagine Steven Root as the architect in The Matrix Reloaded? Uh, that would be a better movie. <laughs> it just would. I, I you know for me the biggest thing with The Empty Man is like I legitimately don't know what I think happened in it. <laughs> Like if that, like I don't, I don't know the answers to a bunch of questions I have, but I'm not mad about it because it like just sort of works. Like for example, like is our protagonist real? Was he a person first, or was oh, he literally it's, it's just they, it's created? They on Euler Spay. Oh yeah, sorry, but like all oh, these questions. We've been out for a while, people. Yeah, I mean it's been there. I, I spoiler alert: previously, uh, what I just said, and go back in time and don't listen to it. It's my fault. 
or you could edit it out. I don't care. But no, it like, <laughs> it's like, but I don't think there is necessarily an answer to it. Um, but also, like, if if one of those, like, whichever answer is true, there's a bunch of other things that don't make sense then. <laughs> but like, that's it's okay. But that's what makes the movie such a rich experience. I think is that it it's it sort of begs you to constantly sort of analyze every little moment and not in a cheap way because sometimes it's like it can feel cheap if a movie like gives you an answer like a twist at the end that doesn't really work with its narrative whereas this one the entire narrative is built on things like reality shifting to the perspective you're in um and how the power of thought you know can really guide and morph and sort of mold things uh in a certain way um and so like i was just left thinking about it for days uh, and i'm already excited about a rewatch um for that reason so i think i think it's it's a really rich rewarding experience of a movie yeah yeah i can't argue with that paul i will say one thing um I was kind of in the same boat you were in and Allie, let us know if uh, you kind of felt the same way too. Like where by the time you reach the end credits, you're left with questions and you wonder like, well, if that's true, then how does this work or what's going on here? Or how would the entire thing, I will say that a rewatch definitely answers a lot of those questions and the puzzle pieces kind of fit more snugly together. Once you know kind of what the game of the movie is if that makes sense when when we're done recording i want to talk to you about like three things because i think there's there's a specific thing that happens at the end that undoes something for me in a big way like not in a bad like i'm not like it's not a problem i have with the movie but it's almost like this thing makes it to where i just can't make sense of that core question I don't know, but we can't talk about it because it's a spoiler. This is this is good podcast talk. <laughs> like dancing around something I can't talk about. Um, but yeah, anyway. But that's the empty man. That's the kind of conversation it's going to elicit, you know? Absolutely. Um, so Allie already mentioned it, but I caught the Green Knight in a theater here in Bradenton, and um I it, it's one of the best of the year, I think. It is maybe Almost certainly, I would say the most gorgeous film of the year. Like this is, it's stunning. Like I mean, this is uh, David Lowry, the same guy who directed a a ghost story a couple of years ago, which was one of my favorite movies of that year. I think that movie is just heartbreakingly beautiful. Um, Not just visually. I mean, just the way. I mean, his movies are like poetry uh, to me. It's just they're stunning. And um, the Green Knight is probably his most accomplished work as a director it's certainly the one that has the most scope it's the one that has uh you know maybe the most traditional story which is you know shouldn't be a surprise given that it's based pretty damn faithfully on uh, an arthurian legend uh, it's a uh, sir garwin and the green knight and uh, paul are you familiar with the original story at all because I got uh, I, I was not peripherally I don't really know a ton about it I've heard it like before and I read a little bit about it but I haven't dove too deep because I'm trying to uh you know go into the movie with a little bit of a surprise element to it can I give you the basic setup yeah no that's fine okay so because the trailers kind of play a little bit coy but the first 10 minutes of the movie basically you're you're introduced to uh 
uh, Gawain or Garwin. I, it's weirdly enough, it's pronounced differently by every damn character in the movie. Right. <laughs> but um, he is the nephew to King Arthur, who is older in this version. You know, he he pulled the sword from the stone many, 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 many years ago at this point. Um, and I think it's, uh, is it Sean? Um, oh, God, who is the... Um, mm. The actor who plays King Arthur, because he usually plays a villain. The movie does something really interesting. Sean Harris. Uh, yeah. He played a villain in a couple of Mission Impossible movies. Uh, he was in the Scott Derrickson movie, the Demon Possession movie, and he was fucking terrifying in that. Um, but Sean Harris plays an older King Arthur, I believe. Um, oh, this is terrible podcasting. Uh, uh, Guinevere is played by uh, da, 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 da. Kate Dickey who was in uh, The Witch, and she was terrifying in The Witch. So, you know, the movie does something really interesting by casting these actors that you're instinctively kind of wary of, and they're playing, like, really decent people. It's kind of like uh, casting the Scorpio Killer from uh, Dirty Harry as the uh, the nice guy father in Hellraiser. You know, you, you have to accept that he's a good guy, but you're just a little on edge, you know? That's kind <laughs> of the same thing here. Um, but no, uh, so yeah, Dev Patel plays, uh, Gawain, who is the nephew to King Arthur and he's, you know, he's grown up with tales of the Knights of the round table. You know, his, his, uh, his uncle is fucking King Arthur. You know, he feels like he needs to do something great to sort of make his name and be known and have stories sung of him. And, uh, and he's itching to be that guy. And when the movie begins, uh, weirdly enough, it's a Christmas film, which I think is kind of amazing. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And it, honestly, I kind of wish they would have, I'm glad to have already seen it. I can't wait to have it on Blu-ray to watch at Christmas, but I kind of wish it had been a Christmas release because this movie would be, oh, if they had released should... this the week of Christmas, like okay, it, it you, would be the most. You might have just convinced me to wait till Christmas time. Because okay. I'm a huge Christmas movie fan, and like I, that would be a cool first. Movie. I don't know. I feel like you can watch it like soon. I would not argue either way. Like, Paul, <laughs> if you watch it, if you watch it straight away, all's the better. Well, I but can't watch it yet because it's not on VOD. Unless it is on VOD, and I missed it. Mm, I don't think it's on VOD yet. Everything should just go straight to VOD and theatrical. That's my belief. It's crazy. But then Stardro's going to sue you. Well, I mean, she'll sue Disney, <laughs> but. Not me directly. I, you know, as long it, as I can see the movie. I'm weirdly of two minds on that. As somebody who worked in a movie theater for ages and as somebody who's, you know, good friend runs an independent theater. Like if that industry is ever going to survive, the studios need to go back to a theatrical only model. Otherwise they, a lot of people, like a lot of businesses are going to go under and a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And we're going to have far, far, far less of an opportunity to actually go to movie theaters. And I know some people don't care for movie theaters, and that's completely fine. But I, I want I both. I love them. I, I, you know, I, I'm okay with a shortened window. You know, back in the day, pre-pandemic, I believe it was uh, 90 days was the shortest. 45 sounds okay to me. But day and date, I'm not keen on. Like, for example, The Suicide Squad did I love being able to sit at home and watch it on HBO Max? Yes, I did. After great. seeing after seeing the numbers that went up this past weekend, do I wish they had waited 45 days before actually letting that be the case? Yes, I do. Um, so, you know, it, it's... A yeah, bit- but the numbers aren't really 
real, though, because a, a huge percentage of that movie's money is tied into the membership subscriptions that HBO is getting. So yeah, technically speaking, said- like the amount of money it brought in is not like you can't look at that. That's my whole thing with that conversation is like box office conversations at this point are not like we're, we're talking about them as if they're the same as they were previously. And they just aren't. So they're you can't really say. I just don't think you stuff? can say that movie underperformed, like to the box office one. No, There's not, also not, Delta I'm variant not and the movie. I'm not knocking. No, no, the I, I just and mean like, is. like I think I think the the whole conversation around that's a little bit not like it, I don't know. It's just but at the it's same silly. time we we are never going to see. I mean, this is a case. This year is never going to happen again, uh, no matter what model they choose. Where we're going to get ten to twelve. 150 200 million dollar blockbusters released day and date to a streaming service because they have something like 47 million subscribers that's 15 bucks a pop that's what about 700 million dollars you're not going to have 10 100 150 200 million dollar movies on top of all of their original series that are made i mean god knows how much something like perry mason costs and westworld and so on and so forth like it, yeah but they're getting that money happen- monthly like that like those subscription costs are coming in monthly. They are. And that's on I, top of, you know, merchandising and, and all these other components. But I agree with you. I mean, like, certainly for theaters to survive, there has to be some sort of, like, benefit to going. But but my argument's always been, like, so, you know, I love the theatrical experience, but I also hate it. Because, like, every every single time I go... There are people on their cell phones. There's people talking. Yeah. There's interruptions. The projection's not that great. The sound's not that great. Like, it's very rare that you can, in middle America, that you can find, like, a phenomenal theater that is kept up and that people are respectful during. Whereas if I watch a movie at home, I know that experience is going to be good. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I, it's a guaranteed thing where we basically have theaters in our home at this point. So for someone like me, it's it's been really wonderful because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to see most of these movies. But I also understand the other side of it. It's just more devil's advocate to the whole thing. But I, I do think there should be more options. Um, I think a lot of the options that have been unleashed over the pandemic have been positive uh, for me, at least. And I pay more. I will say I put more money into digital stuff than I ever did before. Yeah, same here. Okay. I mean, I I did not. I certainly never did the VOD thing. I couldn't have imagined paying twenty dollars, let alone thirty dollars, to rent. Yeah, I paid thirty dollars to watch the Jungle Cruise. I never would have done that before. But like, <laughs> How is that, know, by the way? kids wanted to watch it. Kids, so like, if you had gone to see that in theaters, we've been paying for like what two tickets plus your own. So what's yeah, a yeah, rented at the house. That was my thing is like, yeah, that was my argument to my wife because she was kind of like $30. And I was like, yeah, but if all four of us went to see this, like we probably would have paid more than 30 bucks. So like realistically, you know, it makes sense. And it was a really fun movie. I don't know. I mean, you know, it was a little bit of pirates, a little bit of mummy, (laughs) a lot of bit of rock. (laughs) rock. (laughs) 
Okay, so I, I feel like this could be its own podcast. I'm going yeah, to dance sorry. back. No, no, you're good. Uh, I'm going to Tangent. dance back to the Green Knight. Yes, yeah, And night. just say that, uh, yeah, so, okay, so the basic setup behind the movie, you have this guy who's uh, sort of aching to make his bones as a, a potential knight, as it were. And uh, on Christmas Day, they have a celebration in the castle. Everyone, you know, all the knights are there around the round table. King Arthur and Guinevere are sitting at the head. Arthur calls uh, Gawain to his side, you know, asking after the boys were and realizing, you know, there's not much of a relationship between these two. Uh, and that's something that Arthur kind of regrets, I think. And he's trying to uh, to reach out to him and sort of take him under his wing. And as this is happening, I, Allie, how would you describe the Green Knight? What the hell is he exactly? Um, he's a tree man. He's a tree man, Paul. Uh, he is a green as okay. hell. Like, it, it's kind of like a uh, swamp like, thing with a haircut yeah. and if he's been hitting the gym. That's kind of what he looks like. He's like a shorter end, like from Lord oh, of the Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I like yeah, that. 100%. That's a good description. I immediately pictured it. Yeah. And, you know, and much like much like the ends, he does walk a bit. So, you know, that's, that's fun. Um, no, he basically shows up to the hall and he challenges all the knights to the round table by basically saying if they took him on in combat none of them could win none of them could best him and so it's not his intent to harm anyone in that way but he does want to throw down a challenge and the challenge he gives is let any man square off against me and strike a blow and then one year hence find me in the green chapel you know uh up north and uh return my axe to me and uh then i will deliver the blow that was delivered to me, whether it be a scratch on the arm or, you know, taking my head, something like that. So, you know, everyone sees this guy as a threat and Gawain sees an opportunity. So he leaps over the table. Uh, he ultimately asks for, he doesn't have a sword of his own. So he uses, and this is what I love about the movie. The movie trusts that you are familiar enough with Arthurian legend that, you know, the sword that he has passed is fucking Excalibur without anybody having to say it. You know, oh yeah. Uh, so he takes Excalibur, and you know, being being young and dumb, he lops the Green Knight's head off and is victorious. And you know, I think he even says, "Ally, correct me if I'm wrong," but he even presents the moment before he does it in such a way, like, "Let everyone here remember this." Like he's you know such a man, such a hero in the moment, and yeah. he lops the Green Knight's head off, and the Green Knight falls over and bleeds, and then. As he's celebrating and you see Arthur, who you get the feeling already kind of knows what the deal is. He's rubbing his temples like disappointed in the boy. He explained it. He was like, if you do this to me, I'm going to do it again to you in a year. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like and it was kind of like a test, like there was a lesson in it and which the whole movie kind of is in a in a brilliant sort of way. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so the Green Knight headless stands back up picks up his own head and holds it up to Gawain and says one year hence and uh which by the way the guy who voices the green knight is ralph Ineson, who was also in the witch he played the mm -hmm. father and yeah. he has maybe the greatest voice on the planet earth oh yeah yeah that guy's got a great voice and so um yeah so the the movie begins there we cut to one year later and uh you get the feeling that Gawain does not want to go through with making the journey, but he's kind of, he's a little bit browbeaten into it by Arthur. There's this expectation amongst all of the people who live there that he is going to do this. Uh, they even, you know, they, it's everything that he wanted. They have like 
Punch and Judy style puppet shows about Gawain and the Green Knight. Oh. So he has the notoriety that he wanted, but now he actually has to make the trip and, you know, become the hero that everybody thinks that he is. And what you realize very quickly in the movie is that he is, he's not a hero. He's not even that great of a guy. And, um, and the whole movie serves as kind of a lesson and whether or not the lesson is learned or even learned in time, I'll say, is kind of what drives it. And I will say, again, without getting into spoilers, one of the most brilliant things about the movie is the fact that the ending somehow, some way is faithful to the original story and yet darker and much more wickedly funny in its own right. Like it's kind of a magic trick what the final moment of the movie is. And I, I just, I, I adore it. I think it's mm. like I said, I think it's one of, it's not my favorite movie of the year, but damn it. Is it up there? Yeah. It's definitely up there for me. And also just what's her, but um, Alicia Vikander. Oh yes. Oh, I loved her. And it took me forever to realize, sorry, spoiler alert, turn off the podcast that <laughs> she was his girlfriend, but also she was the lady of the house. Yeah. Yeah. That's, there is. So that's the thing is like the movie itself, Paul, I wouldn't end listeners out there. I wouldn't say the movie as a whole is a horror movie, but within the movie in this one setting in a castle, there is a total fucking horror movie that's happening and it's brilliant Mm. in a very quiet, creepy way. And, um, and again, like I, I would (laughs) queue up, like have the original story ready, even a synopsis, like go to Wikipedia and have the story of like Sir Gawain and the Green Knight ready so that when you come out of the movie, like you can read it and be like, oh, that's what that was. And that's what that was, because there is there is a horror movie esque figure within the castle that I didn't immediately know who it was meant to be. I thought it was just something kind of creepy and awful. And then when you read who that character is meant to be, it's like, oh, my God, that's genius. Oh, yeah. So I, I love it so much. Cool. And I wish I kind of wish Lowry, ah, David Lowry would do other other Arthurian tales now. Like I would love to I see so his uh, uh, like imagine his uh, his version of the story of Tristan or even like the sword and the stone or imagine him handling Merlin or, uh, you know, so the love triangle with uh, Arthur, Guinevere and Lancelot, like any of that stuff in that style would be amazing. Yeah, I'd pay good money to see all of that. But it was, oh yeah, it was stunning and beautiful. And the color greening on it was so good because there were all these deep greens and blues and oranges and it was just so beautiful to see on a big screen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even simple stuff, like there's a shot, I think it's in the trailer, Paul, if you've seen it, but the camera basically slowly turns upside down. And it is motivated by the story when you see it in the movie, like why that moment happens. But just something as simple as that, the way he frames it and shoots it and the way the music coincides with, like, it's just, it, it's pure magic. There's, again, it's, there's a moment in the trailer where he is standing on a uh, a cliffside watching what amounts to, like, these giants stomping by. And one of them just kind of casually regards him, you know, as a human might, an ant. And that scene is like, I, I haven't seen anything like this on screen in ages. This This takes me back, it felt like, Honestly, it felt like a 1980s movie where the story itself is meant to be kid friendly, but the filmmaking is anything but like it has a hard edge to it. And uh, I mean, I honestly think it would be kind of a great kids movie with the exception of one sequence where uh, Allie, yeah. you probably know what you're talking about. 
Yeah, I mean, they they even could have gotten away with it if they didn't do the close-up. And I was like, really? Did we need to yeah, see it? Yeah, close-up that you're like, oh, okay, I see what you did. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's golly. That's, uh, Paul, we're going to leave that to you to discover. Yeah. Um, okay, sounds good. <laughs> Allie, how about I'm, you? What I'm, else? I'm enticed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Oh, uh, <laughs> what else have you seen, Allie, in the last uh, two weeks or so? Ugh, I watched the latest purge piece of garbage oh no the forever purge i haven't seen i stopped at three even though i liked all three of them i like like i don't know if i saw election year but i definitely liked the first and the second and then i liked the first purge like Uh, i didn't see that i think that was the fourth one the the fourth yeah but this one one. just like I feel like it's way too timely with what's really happening in the world. And you're like, oh, this is a bummer. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just listening to a podcast that talked about that, how when the first movie came out, the first couple of movies even, you know, there was this remove there where it's like, well, clearly this is science fiction. Something like this wouldn't happen. And, you know, this is a cautionary tale, but it doesn't really need to be a cautionary tale because we would never get there. And now we're watching stuff like The Forever Purge, and it's like, oh, we're kind of fucking here, and that's depressing as hell. This isn't escapism anymore. Yeah, and it's it's just a real big bummer. And I honestly watched it because I was like, ooh, Josh Lucas. I haven't seen you in anything in a while. <laughs> Why didn't Josh that's, Lucas ever That's what I said when Josh Hartnett showed up in Wrath of Man. I was like, Josh <laughs> Hartnett? Yeah, well, no, hey, buddy, Josh- what have you been doing? <laughs> well, he was also in Penny Dreadful. Like, he had a TV show for a bit. True. True, but you know, when you see him in a movie, it's different. It's really different. You're like, where is your career gone? I guess he made enough money in the 90s, early 2000s. He's still coasting on that Halloween H2O money. Oh, he's coasting on that hairstyle. I have not seen The Forever Purge. I, I was looking forward to watching it, but this scares me a little bit. Because um, I like the first four purges. I think they're uh, they're fun. They're so they're, they're so fun. ridiculous, but they like fun. they're and they're fun to watch. Ridiculous, and you kind of get to see it from all the different angles. You know, like yeah. here's a rich family who can survive the purge, and it's not a big deal. And here's all the poor people who can't survive the purge. And like right. I didn't engineers, why I have no idea what happens in that one, but <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> so the, they're all the same movie the eventually. Movie. <laughs> I mean, election year is kind of like way more timely now after the Capitol riots. You know? Yeah. They, yeah. They, I, I think Ellie's right. Like th- part of the problem with the purge movies is they turned out to be so like depressingly prescient that when you go back and rewatch them now, you're kind of like, Oh, Oh no. Yeah. You know? And, and that started, that kind of started full force with the first purge. Cause remember even the advertising campaign was like the MAGA hats. Yeah. Like they, they even like campaigned around how oddly close it was. I think that was election year, wasn't it? Because the first purge came. No, out, it like... was first purge. They they because remember they had the whole oh, the, trailer. I'm sorry, I thought you were saying like the first purge. No, 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 no. yeah, I'm sorry. Well, the fourth yeah. movie, the first <laughs> oh, purge. They annoyingly called the fourth movie the first purge. <laughs> <laughs> but they were like, yeah, we'll just do this, you know, test run in this, you know small racial community and you know we'll see what happens yeah. to all these black people and it's like ooh mm. that's bad but the forever purge is just like 
cool, let's build a wall, let's kill all the Mexicans, let's like, oh, it's just the worst, and you're just like, cool. Not even subtext anymore. Just... Like, not even subtext. They're just like, sub, because we're going to kill everyone. It's like, no, I'm not here for this. This is too close to home at this point. Yeah. Uh, I do like the idea that, like, the purge night ends and everyone's like, fuck it, we're going to keep purging. I think that's kind of a fun idea. I mean, but, that like, kind of felt like capital rights, too. Racist with it and just kept <laughs> Yeah, if they it had just done. Really yeah. centered on it being, like, Mexicans and I'm like mm, mm-hmm. I'm not okay. you could have said they just kept purging well I will I will wait to watch that one that was one that is available on VOD but it's $20 and I just keep thinking like that's too much <laughs> that's too you much stare at that thumbnail like uh, you're not a $20 movie. <laughs> like I'll pay when it's like $6.99 that's, yeah. I'll do that you know but I can't do $20 that's too well, much no, that. no no <laughs> Did either of you watch the television series that ran for a couple of seasons? I tried to. I just felt like it was too slow. I gotcha. I didn't see it. I I heard that it wasn't great, so I just kind of avoided it. Um, but I was always a little curious. I, I would give it a go if someone sort of like, hey, you said, hey, watch it. Then maybe I would, but nobody's done that. <laughs> yeah, no. And I know one of the directors on like one or two of the episodes and I was like psyched for her because I'm like yeah you're getting work but I'm like the show is kind of like it, the first episode was just way too slow for my liking and like yeah I feel like you need to you can't have a full episode of like an hour-long show that's like here's what happens leading up to the purge I'm like no you got to start the purge midway through that first episode otherwise I'm just bored oh well, yeah especially Why if you would have you... three movies that set up I was the gonna concept say, like... already yeah, that's crazy. They have an episode that's before the per- like that's that's dumb because this isn't yeah this isn't a series that needs to establish anything. All it yeah, needs just, to do is show crazy shit from the happening. purge. You're just like just have the purge. Just be like right. guys, purge is happening, and then 15 minutes into the episode, the purge starts, and then go from there. Yeah, I, I always thought it would just be like like a show. A cool idea for a purge show would just be like, hey, show me random experiences from random purges. You know, just jump around. Just like, here's this one crazy thing that happened this one time. Just like, you know, drop me into random situations. It could be an anthology show. Like, I want to see all across the United States how states are dealing with the purge. And maybe some just aren't. Maybe they're like, the purge is dumb and we're not adhering to it. Like, Yeah, that would be cool. I want to see purge on different, like, like weird, like purge on a boat or purge on a train. Or what happens if you're in an airplane <laughs> over the purge? What happens if you're in a plane <laughs> and you fly over America? Are you suddenly under that? Like, I want to know all the crazy, weird situations that you could, like, be in in the purge. I thought one of the cool things about election night was that they tapped into that a little bit by having people from other countries. Uh, yeah. They were basically purge tourists who wanted to come to the U.S. so that they could kill somebody. And I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Election well, year was good. Time. I, I like I think I think Anarchy and Election Year are really the high points of the series. And for me, I mean Anarchy is my Anarchy favorite. Was the second but, one, right? Yeah, Anarchy's two. That's, yeah, that's the one I like the best. Yeah, same here. Yeah, and that's yeah, but but that's the one that really gives us what we wanted out of the first one, right? Because the problem with the first one is it's like it's this great premise. Oh, Purge Night, blah, 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 blah. And then it's basically a home invasion movie. Yeah. 
and you're stuck inside this guy's house and you're like, well, I want to see the purge. I want to see this thing you guys are talking about. <laughs> to, like barricade the hatches. Like I want to see people blowing through doors. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anarchy gives us that. Yeah. And then election year sort of gives us that again a little bit, but with more political intrigue. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're both fun movies. Mm-hmm. But Ali overall forever purge thumbs down. Yeah. Thumbs down. Mm-hmm. Also, and this is the thing, I, the issue I have with the purge, which isn't an issue with the physical movie itself. I think it's just with the marketing is they always find like the one person in the coolest costume and put them on the poster, but then you see them for 30 seconds total in the movie. And you're like, <laughs> Oh, it's a, it's a ghoulie situation. It's the ghoulie coming out of the toilet. And it's just like, like the, for, um, the forever purge, the poster is, you know, the guy with the painted face and the long horns sitting on top of the horse. You see him for all of two seconds. And I'm like, is he going to come back? Is he going to incite some violence? Or are we just going to see him for aesthetic purposes? I want to see a dude purging on a horse. That sounds great. That sounds awesome. <laughs> plan a cowboy a- purge? Come on. Like, that's a person? Like, Yeah. Oh man! I will say I couldn't help but cackle in theaters when they did run the trailer for the Forever Purge, and you had like the the redneck cowboy racist purger who's like talking about the Forever Purge. You know, it's like oh, well, that's I, all the people who are like really into the Forever Purge—they're all just like racist rednecks being like, "You ain't part of us. You're not our kind. Get out of our country." And it's like, but this is my country too. Yeah, I mean it's accurate, but I just America. I feel like we get enough of those people in real life. I don't want to see them in movies. Yeah, that might be part of the problem. Like, I almost wonder if the Forever Purge would have played better like a decade ago or something. Like, or if it'll play better in ten years from now. Hopefully, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully we don't have actual purges by then. But you know, it's 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 like how we watch the Hunger Games. We're like, this would never happen. And then one day we're like, crap, we're in the second Hunger Games already. Jesus, how'd this happen? Yeah, this happened. Um, How are we here? How did we get here? All right, Paul, how about you? What else have you seen? Um, well, I watched Wrath of Man, but I guess that's not really a horror movie, but it kind of feels like one. I'm fine um, if you want to talk about Wrath of Man because that movie needs more eyes on it. It's true, it does. I'll talk about Wrath of Man a little bit. I, again, I feel bad because it's, it's definitely not a horror movie, but... Um, you yeah, know, I mean, I, I, I wonder if Benson and Moorhead would take you to task for that, though, because if they can make the case, if Benson and Moorhead on this podcast, well, can make the case that No Country for Old Men is horror, and if the guy who created Friday the 13th can make the case that Raising Arizona was horror, Paul, I think you can make well, the case. Well, first off, Rath Raising Arizona is not horror, so it's not that I wasn't going to tell the man who why. created Friday the 13th that, all right? I just went with it. I, I was a good look. Host. No, I mean, he. Uh, everyone's opinions are, are a fun thing, and I, I have no issue with them. But uh, yeah, my opinion is that, that that's a comedy. But uh, Wrath of Man is a... Uh, <laughs> Wrath of Man is a fun is a fun movie. No, it's not super, it's not very fun. Um anyway, it's Jason Statham, uh a guy Guy Ritchie directed uh and it's a hard it's a hard movie to describe because inherently I feel like I can't give too much of a synopsis cuz part of the part of what makes the movie really compelling is how it slowly unfolds perspective by perspective um and what i mean by that is the opening of the film 
uh, is a static shot uh, uh, inside of a cash truck as it is hit by people burglaring it, uh, right? And so they, you know, take the money out, they take the guys out, things go bad, but you never actually leave the truck. So you just kind of are hearing in a muffled sort of way the chaos that's going on outside and and putting the pieces together. And that single event uh, informs and drives the entire film. And it's a bit of a metaphor for kind of uh, the chaos of the life of crime that so many of the people the movie concerns it with have have chosen and the cost of that. Um, And certainly the money that's gained or potentially gained is never enough to compensate for the loss of humanity that's occurring, um, not just like physically in the world, but in the lives of these, these men. Um, and Jason Statham, uh, is a guy who ends up, uh, getting a job at this, this, uh, armory armored car service that, you know, shepherds money from one place to the next, uh, and right from the get-go, he is very clearly lying about who he is. <laughs> I don't think that's a spoiler. It's it's very evident that he is not this mild-mannered uh, driver. Uh, you know, he's very good with a weapon, um, but he sort of hides it. And you're trying to piece together why he's there and what the significance of the robbery at the beginning of the movie is. And as the movie progresses, uh, you slowly find out more about why that his character is working for this company, what it is he's seeking to do. Um, and it's a sort of deep, dark nihilistic, uh, revenge movie. Um, that is really sort of distilling how little, um, joy and compensation there is to be gained from revenge, but also from sort of this hollow life again, that, that, that these people have all chosen and Statham's character is really, really fascinating. Um, and I feel, and again, it's hard because I really want to talk about where he ends up, but I do think that, you know, one thing that's really cool about this movie is that it's it's sort of tracking the last vestiges of humanity as it is sapped from a person and how that kind of thing comes about. Um, and it tracks it step by step by step. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen a crime movie do that. I think the closest, and it's a weird comparison, but I think the closest I've ever seen this happen is in like a Scorsese film. Like there's, there's shades of like the Irishman in this, um, in my opinion, uh, because it's, it's about the same kind of thing. Um, now obviously this is a little bit more guy, Ritchie stylized, you know, there's a little bit more to that, uh, kind of, you know, level of it and there may not be the caliber of of actor <laughs> in this movie that you get out of a scorsese flick but um i i think that he's tapping into the same sort of things that that a movie like that does um and it's brilliant it's it's 
one of the best things I've seen in a long time. I I really loved it. No, I thought it was excellent. I um, it's funny that you mentioned Scorsese, like the filmmaker that I was reminded most of, especially the uh, as you noted the sort of um, you know that theme, the sort of futility of vengeance, as it were. It reminded me a lot of. Uh, Mike Hodges, the guy who did uh, Get Carter, uh, the original Get Carter, not the uh, mm-hmm. not the Stolen remake. And uh, I don't know if either of you ever saw it, but um, Hodges did a movie with um, Clive Owen back in the early aughts. It was Clive Owen, Jonathan Rhys Myers, and um, Malcolm McDowell called I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. And it's one of the best fucking film noirs I've seen ever, mm. like period. And it very much deals with that. It's kind of like a spiritual successor, I think, to get Carter in many ways. But uh, that's what Wrath of Man reminded me of. It reminded me of like a modern Mike Hodges movie instead of um, – more so than a Guy Ritchie movie, I think. Because even though there are those stylistic flourishes, I felt like Ritchie felt confident enough as a filmmaker this time around to kind of put all those tools away and just confidently tell like the story. And Because the story itself is – kind of complicated and convoluted enough that you don't need all of the, uh, you know, the visual pizzazz that he's kind of known for, you know, gussing everything up, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, Ali, you sound a million miles away. Are you just prattling around in the background? I completely understand if we run you away. (laughs) No, I went to go get another drink from the fridge and then realized that just standing with the fridge door open in my super hot apartment yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think I can do a whole podcast here, but like, god damn it, my apartment is hot right now. Like, throughout this entire podcast, I have basically already like stripped off all my clothes. I'm in like barely shorts and a tank top because I'm like, it's too hot. Nice. And normally I never complain about the heat because I'm like, no, no, this is what I wanted. I don't want the winter. I don't want snow. <laughs> but then I'm like, oh, but I also don't have air conditioning on days like today. That sounds know. that sounds unpleasant. It's fine. It's fine. I appreciate I, I, you dealing with that. To, well, to like, be with us only thing, the only thing I can comment on is like I like a good guy Richie film. I think Jason Statham is awesome. And revenge is always sweet. I mean <laughs> True. Although I don't know that his character would say that in the end of the movie. I don't think he'd go, Revenge is sweet. That would have been a weird ending. He should have. He should have yeah. gotten his own close up where he looks right into the camera, winks, <laughs> and wins. says, "Revenge is sweet." Um, why is it whenever I hear somebody, not so much when I say it, but hearing anybody else say the name Jason Statham, I immediately flash to that uh, Chris Pratt SNL skit, uh, Jason Statham's Jason Statham's. Do either of you remember this by any chance? No, but I'm definitely gonna watch it. I don't remember it at all, but it sounds quite funny. It's basically it's an ad for a Jason Statham endorsed brand of Statham's. And and he says the full thing probably 97 times in the entire ad. And he says it in like this horrible. I think the fact that Chris Pratt maybe isn't very good in it makes it funnier. Uh, But just hearing him try and pull the Cockney accent with Jason Statham's Jason Statham's. You know, it's just, it's so fucking ludicrous, but it's hilarious. I love, I love dumb stuff like that. So that sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm here for it. 
Okay, so speaking of dumb stuff, uh, my last movie before we dive into Countess Dracula, I'll just say because we, holy shit, we're like an hour in. <laughs> Classic um, us. Classic us. Yep. Um, so based on a brief conversation with Ali uh, about a week ago, I wound up, actually it was a week ago when we were due to record and I felt awful. And uh, to cheer myself up, I wound up watching Club Dread, the old Broken Lizard movie from 2004. It's a perfect movie. It's, it's good. So damn good. I I love Broken Lizard. I really do. Even though it, they're brilliant. You know what? It kills me is that it's such a bummer that their follow up movies to Super Troopers never seem to quite get to those heights as far as like you know audience recognition. As, as audience recognition as humor, they all pile up. Like they're all so good. There, yeah, there are no weak movies. I, I think some people might feel like once they started going, uh, you know, like Slam and Salmon when it went to, you know, direct to DVD. I remember my initial feeling was like, oh, they're they're kind of going the direct to video route. Oh, that's that's a shame. That's too bad. But then you watch the movie and it's like, oh, this is fucking great. Like oh this. And Michael this... Clark Duncan in that movie is so perfect. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace. We. Yeah. That's a shame. But uh. But yeah. No, I was. Ali, what was it? There was a brief mention of uh, Jimmy Buffett, and Jimmy Buffett reminded me of uh, <laughs> Bill Paxton in Club Dread, and uh, specifically uh, Pina Colotterberg. Yeah, and Pina so Colotterberg. I was like, okay, I need <laughs> need to watch this movie. And sure enough, it cheered me up. I adore it still. I'm not going to get into it because it's a 17 and a half year old movie. If you're if you're listening to this podcast, you've almost certainly seen the movie. But if you haven't, I'll just say that Club Dread is a comedic slasher film that sort of uh, skewers all the slasher tropes in a really fun way and a really cool setting. And the whole thing is top. The cherry on top of the movie that's already great is Bill Paxton as a guy who runs a beach resort who. Much like Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> exactly. Who believes uh, what what was his name? Was it Coconut Pete or something yeah. like that? Also, if you go into Spotify, his whole album is on there and it's all sung by Bill Paxton. Is it really? It is. Oh, but... that's great. I had no idea. Yeah, oh, there's like five that. songs that he recorded for this movie, and they're all on Spotify. <laughs> I'm just now looking up facts, and I didn't realize this either. Soundtrack. On one of the disc's commentary tracks, the filmmakers state that they screened the film for Jimmy Buffett, who was so amused that he requested permission to sing some of the film's songs on one of his live tours. Oh, so good. Brilliant. So, yeah, Bill Oh, Paxson, my gosh, it's on Apple Music, too. Sorry. It I is. Gonna buy, it I'm going to buy the album. That's brilliant. Phenomenal. This is going on my playlist. Yeah, it has one of my favorite moments in any movie where uh, Paxton's Coconut Pete gets into an argument with one of his uh, customers, as it were, over uh, what is it? They're sitting around a campfire and he's oh, strong. Yeah. She's yeah. like, hey, sing Margaritaville. And he's like, darling, I, I think you're thinking of Pina Colada Berg. No, no, it's Margaritaville. No, it's fucking Pina Colada Berg. You know, wrote that song six years before Jimmy fucking Buffett did blah, blah, blah. You know, when they have to pull him away and you just hear him mutter in the background off screen, son of a son of a bitch. <laughs> just such a perfect movie. It's a it's a good one. It's a really good one. You really do no wrong, in my opinion. Everything they make is great. Yeah, that I, was one I came to really late. I only saw that movie for the first time like a year ago, like pretty really? recently. Yeah, really? I, I loved huh. it. Yeah, but I just somehow missed it. I don't know why. 
it bums me out. Their last movie was Super Troopers 2, and that was already, like, three years ago, so. Well, I mean, um, Steve and Kevin are on Tacoma FD, and they're going into their third season. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, they basically play firefighters on a new comedy show, and it's very funny. All right, I'm going to have to look that up. I've never seen it. Um, I'm still waiting for a Pot Fest, the Beer oh, Fest. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's ever oh, I love happen, Beer Fest. I wanted to. Beer Fest beer is, is like one of my, that might be my favorite one of theirs. I love Beer I love when the guy dies halfway through and then his twin <laughs> brother shows up and he's like, we're just going to call you by that name. And, yeah, and then it just goes back to like nothing happened. My brother told me all about you guys, all of your troubles and everything you've been going through. So there's really no need to even catch me up. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a, it's such everything a good joke. Everything so seamless. <laughs> no, I'm obsessed with Super Troopers too because they come to Canada and every time they do a Canadian accent or they bring in the Mounties or Rob Lowe is doing his really god-awful, like, French-Canadian accent, I, like, <laughs> I cry-die. And, like, the whole, <laughs> the whole Danny DeVito scene, I, like, during the lockdown, I made a stupid video where I played all three characters and just redid the I was going to say, that's I the video, that. your pinned video, right? Yeah, because yeah, that's that's really funny. Commented on it, and I was like, "I'm dying. I can't. I can't." It's oh. funny because I haven't seen the movie, but I but I saw your video, and your video was hilarious. <laughs> I did love it. One of the genius things I think about Super Troopers too is that you know, inevitably, whenever there's a movie with Americans and Canadians, like it's always the Americans making fun of like a Canadian accent, and I. When they flipped that on its head in the movie and they had Canadians making fun of the super troopers, like <laughs> I remember they look at each other and laugh and then turn back to them like, sorry, oh, sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how we as Canadians feel all the time. <laughs> but also just that whole outtake scene where Rob Lowe can't say Flova Scotia, like truly kills me. <laughs> I love it. I, I now want to go back and rewatch all of their filmography, including Jay Chandrasekhar's uh, Dukes of Hazard, which I did find to be fun back I in the day. Love Jay Chandrasekhar. Also, I don't know if you guys watched Nailed It, like Nicole Byer's cooking show on Netflix. I did. Oh. I but actually he's watched that. Judge in, he's a guest judge in one of the episodes, and halfway through the episode, he's just like, "Hey, I uh, I have to go pick my kid up from school. Is it cool if I just like leave?" they're just like okay i do love it's weird after the trailer went up for jackass forever i went through this kick of like re-watching all the movies um and i had forgotten that he was in on the gag in uh jackass paul have you seen jackass too (laughs) ali i i haven't seen any of the jackass movies because it makes me so uncomfortable. Like it, it's, I'm weird. Like I can't because they're really doing it. Seeing people like get hurt and stuff. I don't know. I, it makes me sound like lame, but like, yeah, you're I st- just, I get, I feel so nervous watching it that I can't. So I'm like, it's weird. That, it's like this kind that of is the reason the that you should. That's the reason you should watch it. I know. Also, so I've avoided it. that my whole life. Like the, <laughs> the jackass thing. Okay, so the the guy um, is it Jay Chandra? Chandra Rock. Chandra Rock. Okay, 
Um, he, there's this brilliant bit where they get one of the guys from the jackass troop to, uh, they dress him up like a, a stereotypical, like Middle Eastern terrorist. And they put like, uh, you know, like fake explosives on his chest. And the idea is that he is going to, uh, I think scare the hell out of a taxi driver. Like they're going to hitch a ride and then scare the hell out of the taxi driver. But it's actually a setup for their own guy because the taxi driver is Jay from broken lizard who has a fake gun on him. And so (laughs) they turn the tables and he winds up like, you know, pulling once he picks him up, they do the entire bit. The guy starts acting a little terroristy. And then, so yeah, the cab drivers that were stomps on the brake races out, pulls him out at gunpoint and forces him into the truck. And they, he does like donuts in the car. They get out. Everyone's filming just a stone sort of way. They're laughing their asses off. And then you hear like arguing outside of the car and to simulate gunshots, they like start slapping bricks together. And the guy in the trunk is freaking the fuck out, thinking he's about to die for his stupid skit in a jackass movie. And when they finally pull him out, he has that great moment of realization where he looks around and realizes that he's been had. And <laughs> Jay from Broken Lizard pulls off his own disguise and he looks at him and he's like, were, were you, so this wasn't, were you in on it? And maybe in the greatest moment in the entire movie, Jay just kind of looks at him and he's like, come on. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. Paul, awesome. oh my God, please watch the Jackass movies. There, some of the stuff is tough to get through, but I will say this. Watching them all again back to back and then topping it off with another viewing of the trailer like the fourth movie there's this weird like it's kind of fun and interesting to watch all these guys grow old over the course of like the making of all those movies and uh you know it's it's yeah there's and there weirdly enough there's more heart i think in those movies than you would expect out of you know basically these guys trying to be bargain basement uh daredevils but yeah definitely definitely worth a watch that franchise all right I was obsessed with Jackets. I open watched all the like weird spin-off shows like Viva La Bam and Wild Boys and Wild Weirdly, Boys. I did watch Viva La Bam. <laughs> as what? weird as that sounds. Because my brother was obsessed with all those shows. Yeah. And he for he said that like that was one he thought I would like more than Jackass, because it was a little bit more like a funny, weird, like like family show where he yeah he was like oh you'll probably like this so he bought me like all the seasons on dvd in college and then so i watched him and i did like viva la bam i thought it was funny i'm just really depressed about bam margera nowadays because he was like one of the reasons why i started like skateboarding and shit and then like now he's bad yeah i've heard he's terrible now (laughs) it's such a bummer though because i mean you know i think all of those guys were probably pretty heavy into like drinking and you know substance abuse but like at the point when you know like steve-o you know at the point when everyone's yeah i mean but it seemed like at the point when everybody started kind of cleaning themselves up that's when ryan dunn passed away and that was bam's like best friend and it seems like that's when he really started going like kind of to Mm -hmm. the dark side it's just it makes me sad because i mean that's obviously kind of what broke him i think so thanks so too his career didn't really take off the way like Johnny Knoxville's career took off. And I'm not right. saying Johnny Knoxville has a career we should all be super psyched about, but like he's done a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. True. And I will say that GQ uh, profile on Knoxville, like it's eight to 10 pages, something like that is fucking fascinating reading. Like even if you're I not did a fan read of that. stuff. Yeah. I read that. 
Yeah, because I, I, I was I'm fascinated by Jackass. I've I've seen it peripherally. I've probably seen the first movie just because it was on in the background at my yeah. house a lot. Like, but I've never sat down and watched it. It looks like all three of them are on Paramount Plus. So maybe yes, I'll probably, finally yeah. do the damn thing. So there are the three Jackass movies and then Want Alley. There's also there's Bad Grandpa. Bad Grandpa. Ooh, there was that um, the one that Johnny Knoxville made about the action point. Action point. That was it. I was like the one about the class action park thing, which also if you oh, watch yeah. documentary for that, I died. That was so funny. Obviously, people died and it was very sad, but like so funny. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll more to the list. <laughs> yeah, takes you have me forever to get there. You're writing all these down. Just remember, uh, I would love to start looking up movies. <laughs> I remember I had just gone into college and a buddy of mine had uh, had come back. We all sort of met back up in the summer after our first year at college. And uh, he had brought with him, I'm dating myself here, late 90s. He brought a bootleg videotape that he had snagged of something called CKY. Yes. You and can. that was like, oh, that yeah. was Bam, basically Bam's group. And it was Bam and Ryan Dunn and basically everybody except who like uh knoxville and chris pontius and i think steve-o so watching that i was just laughing my ass off and thinking like what the hell is this like i've never seen anything quite like this before and then a couple of years later jackass came out and i was like oh it's those guys again but um yeah just kind of wild that entire history so uh yeah club dread thumbs up um, yeah, 1,000%. Everybody watch it. <laughs> just, like, rewatch Super Troopers 2 and get a new love for us Canadians. I need wow, to watch that it was, for the first time. That was like crickets. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to contribute to that silence at all. It was just, yeah, uh, no, it's cool, guys. I get it. I, I've just never Canadian. seen it. I, I can't comment either way. I, I But I will... Again, I I'll, I'll put it on. The, I keep feel like I keep saying that. At some point, it loses its meaning. Well, I feel like the last time we talked, you said you were going to watch Till Death. Did you ever watch that? Yeah, Paul. Did you? I yeah. did not watch Till Death yet. I'm going to. So this is trash. I I will get I will get there. It's just it's hard. It's hard. A lot of my nights, the movie I end up watching is like a kids' movie, and then I get tired. <laughs> I swear, like I, I just like if you if I ran down my letterbox, it would be like Titan AE, Treasure Planet, <laughs> yeah, like Matilda. Whoa, Matilda is one of the greatest movies ever. Matilda's made. amazing. Yeah, That's I'm not I'm not complaining, so- but you know, there, there's... Paul uh, Paul won't take any of our advice. Allie's Canadian. I feel like I need to go back to solo hosting the show. Wow. Wow. Is this is this the moment? Are you finally? Are you finally <laughs> okay, me and Paul are just firing me as host. I'm kidding. I'm Ellie kidding. and I are going to go start the Any... Hammer Bar. <laughs> <laughs> we will release. <laughs> when Jinx texted me to be like, "Hey, I have some bad news," I'm like, "It's fucking Paul, isn't it? Paul's bailing on us. You know what? <laughs> Edge Paul out." <laughs> it was me. And he's like, "No, I'm bailing," and I'm like, "Oh, good, because I love Paul." <laughs> <laughs> like a like a knife in the ribs that was. That's cool. It's fine. I would I would never betray you. It's a bummer. <laughs> All right. We are somehow some way an hour and eighteen minutes into this recording. What say? What say we go ahead and the course. let's keep the band together and let's go ahead and dive into some Countess Dracula. All right.
Okay, so how is everyone watching this this evening? We we have the option of uh, I think there's a DVD out there that MGM put out in the double uh, featured disc with uh, the Vampire Lovers. I'm sure, that, yeah, Scream Factory put out an edition of it. I have Maybe a Synapse. Yes. Yeah, my Synapse. Paul, you got the fancy new Hammer Box set. I'm sure. Uh, I yeah, I got the uh, the imprint release, the Australian uh, box set they just did. Scream Factory has not put this one out actually. Okay, so it was Synapse was the last. It was one. Synapse, Synapse. Yeah, it was, Synapse has it, and then uh, Imprint just put this set out. Um, like what, about I, a decade ago, for a burgeoning like super duper hammer enthusiast, um, I, I I gotta tell you, like Synapse was killing it there for a while. They did uh, oh, what did they do? They did Countess Dracula, they did Hands of the Ripper, Twins of Evil, Vampire Circus, and then on those were all Blu-ray. Yeah. And then on DVD, they put out the entire television series of a uh, Hammer House of Horror. So there for a while, Synapse was was kind of like the one stop shop for Hammer. I thought they were just going to wind up doing everything, but sadly, it didn't go that way. <coughs> I think these four movies, including uh, Hammer's House of Horrors, were owned by a certain like someone had the rights to those things. I think mm-hmm. MGM did. And yeah, so and, it's and it's yeah. easier to license those. Um, which is also why like Synapse got them and like Scream hasn't put something out of, of those as of right now. But yeah, I think that's why Imprint just did this set because it's the Imprint set is those four movies. No, no, I can see that. Well, I'll tell you what, no matter how we're watching this, let's go ahead and advance uh, listeners out there. This includes you too. Let's advance to the very first frame of the movie itself. You're going to see a big beefy dude banging a gong. Um, Love beefy dudes banging gongs. I mean, somebody sing the song. Yep. There are worse things. Is there a song? Yeah. You've never heard of bang a gong? Anyone? No. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. So before we start this, I'm going to go ahead and uh, bring this commentary to a halt before it begins. Mm-hmm. And um, are you going to sing? Are you going to sing for us? I'm really excited. Are you about to sing? Sing for us. Oh, you so have to sing. You are, so you are telling me that you've never heard of the T-Rex song, Bang a Gong. I don't know who T-Rex is. Okay. Yeah, I don't know uh, what you're talking about. You know about. what? It's probably going to get us sing. into copyright trouble, uh, but I'm going to bring up the song here. Talk amongst yourselves sing. for a second. It's not copyright sing. trouble if you sing it. I want, I want you to sing it with your Sarcitas. voice. Well, I do not have a singing With your dulcet voice. tones. It'll be romantic. <laughs> it really will. Oh, it uh, would. Okay, this is this it's serenade us both. This has to be one of those songs that when you hear it you'll be like, "Oh that." So let's see here. Okay, I'm playing an ad uh for Volvos. That's unfortunate. Uh apparently they don't kill kids on the road though. So, you know, that's what that ad's telling me. Wow. I mean, that's a that's a bold statement for any car company to make. Nothing? This is doing nothing for you. Like, don't recognize this at all. Is this the one where they want to bang on their drum all day? Okay. Let's go to the movie. <laughs> this is a failure. It would have been better if you sang it, though. Okay. Because then, then it would have moving on. resonated. More. I've made a mistake. This is why we have editing. Okay. Are we all queued up? Yeah, we're queued up, sorry. Yes. All right, everyone yeah. out there, let's go ahead and play the movie. Uh, we'll do five, four, three, two, one. play. You know what? I, I, we're an hour and 23 minutes in at this point. I'm going to do a three count instead. So ready? Three, wow. two, one, and play. 
saved a lot of time. There's a guy banging a gun. So much time. Carefully. Look at that guy's hat, though. Can we talk about his big hat? It looks warm. Well, I'm all it's a really him. big hat. He's happy. Look at him just. So, oh, he's so stylish with that beaver on his head. He killed it on the way. <laughs> I kind of dig that uh, this movie opens with a, a funeral. Hammer movies and funerals go hand in hand, don't they? I mean, there's a lot of funerals. You do. Like peanut butter and jelly. An aesthetic that works. Yeah, and and this actually the first thing I thought of when this opened because it's uh, was Kiss of the Vampire because it also opens with yeah. a pre-credit uh, funeral sequence. With those hats, I I thought this was maybe a kissing cousin to uh, Rasputin. Hmm. Well, we'll get to the Rasputin oh. connections because there are many. Um, but no, I mean, and I think like this, but the difference too, like thinking about kiss of the vampire like kiss of the vampire has this very bombastic sort of opening where he like shoves the shovel through the coffin and you know kills the vampire and everyone's shocked whereas this one's like a lot more like sort of somber and quiet and careful and suggestive and it it kind of sets up the movie in a different way you know she was uh she was giving him the eyes there too old Imre. Yeah. 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 Well, and it opens with a funeral and ends with a wedding. So. Ah, yes. Where the hell is Hugh Grant when you need him? Well, I was going to go with a Dwight Schrute reference where (laughs) their funerals are very romantic, but their weddings are very grim. (laughs) (laughs) That that was a very appropriate Dwight Schrute moment. I love it. This is interesting in that it has a full on like opening credits sequence that, you know, this is yeah. we, we've gotten those before with Hammer. But, you know, it is still rare from time to time, you know, that they it's go a, on with stills and whatnot like this. So this was a first time watch for me. Um, this is currently a first time watch for me. Cool. Wait, what? I was going to say, yeah, I, I was going to say, had anybody seen this before? Uh, Jinx, had you seen this before now? So this is going to be a little bit of a story. Are you sure you want to ask me this right now? It, it, do you want me to ask it later? <laughs> no, no, you can ask it right now. I'm just telling you, we're, we're going to have to commit. This weird? Should we pause it? Uh, yeah, let's pause, pause the movie. The movie. We'll, uh, yeah. Everyone, we're pausing the movie. All right. So th- this movie, uh, I didn't realize until this rewatch and then it occurred to me, this is the very first Hammer film I ever saw. Hmm. Was that the um, one? Wow. Allie? <laughs> Did we have to pause for that? <laughs> Jeez. Jesus, <laughs> firing them off one after the other. Tonight. I'm I like, dude, I love it. Yes, yeah. stupid. Canadians were supposed to be polite, but I'm getting anything but here. Just, uh, oh, I don't know what gave you that. Well, idea. maybe, you know, maybe don't edit out our, our opinions. <laughs> Are you really upset no, I, that I cut the score and my rambling? No, I don't give. I don't give a shit. Okay. 
No one needs to know. I was I was actually worried about how negative I had been, and then I was happy to hear it wasn't in there. So, well, what's funny is is that you and I both get weirdly enough on that. Um, again, we state the exact same things over and over again, but with every pass, you get a little more negative, and I get a little more defensive. So that by the end of it, it almost sounds like we're sparring over the exact same points we made twenty minutes prior. It's in its own way, the way I'm talking it up, it almost sounds like it would have been entertaining. But I'm telling you, it would have put people to sleep. Um, no. Take those sound bites and then put it on a Patreon. Be like, you got to pay two bucks. <laughs> there you go. That's our Patreon. It's <laughs> our quiet place to talk. Yeah, we'll have to replace all of our uh, traditional pre-movie talk with, uh, you know, theater that we create, basically imploring all of our oh, listeners yeah. to give us a buck. Um, we can guilt them into it. Um, no, so this was my first ever Hammer movie. It's funny, I... When I was a kid, I absolutely despised horror movies. I was terrified of them. My brother used to terrify me by uh, – he would call me into a room under the pretense of there being like a cartoon or a fun movie or something. And then he would show me like Friday the 13th. And then uh, eventually I would get wise to that, and then he would call me in at other times and be like, okay, but just watch this one part. It's really cool. And here's a pillow. You can hide your eyes during the really scary parts, right? And I'll tell you when that's going to be. So I would try and do that, and then when the scary part would happen, he would snatch the pillow away so I would see Jason Voorhees hacking up somebody, right? Um, so my my experience with horror movies were not great, but I would spend like every other weekend at my grandparents' house. And my grandmother was a huge fan of more classic horror movies, you know, like ghost stories and whatnot. And I remember that she put this on once. And this was like one of the first horror movies as a child that I ever watched beginning to end. And my two takeaways were that, hey, this is a horror movie, but I'm not terrified. I'm not super scared. I can do this. I can watch horror movies, you know, said like five or six year old me. But uh, the second thing was, um, hey, I know who Dracula is. And where the hell is he? Because he's not in this movie. <laughs> that was my takeaway from this movie as a child. And uh, I don't know. It didn't occur to me until this rewatch. I've even seen this movie since. But, uh, yeah, watching it this time, I was like, oh, I guess that early viewing of Brides of Dracula on sci-fi was not my first experience with Hammer. It was, of all things, Countess Dracula. So, uh, I don't know. It kind of holds a special place in my heart now that I made that revelation for myself. That's interesting. Yeah, and and... I, I like that story and, and it's it's cool that this was one of your first ones because it was one of their later ones and kind of in their experimental age. Shouldn't and like have played like USA up all night, so it was still edited for television, so there was sure. nothing too like objectionable. Salacious. Yeah. Probably the most objectionable thing would be like uh Rhonda Shear, you know, doing the intros for the movie at that point. But uh <laughs> Well, and and what's weird about this movie, though, to me, is like I was expecting something a lot more, well, salacious. Like, you know, I, this movie is pretty reserved and fairly classy, um, considering that it, it was sold. I mean, look at the poster. Like, it's sold as this, like, sexy, over-the-top, um, you know, kind of ex- exploitation movie. And it isn't that. It's, it's really... Um, well, kind of a, a a showcase for Ingrid Pitt's acting abilities because this I think this is her finest performance in a Hammer movie, really. Yeah, she um, and the actress who dubbed her did a great job. I know it sucks. That she was <laughs> I get it, but like, but then her performance is still there. You know, it's still there. Could you um, imagine how bummed would you be if you had already made it through bummed. the Hammer factory? <laughs> 
once well, without getting dubbed, and then yeah. you, you wind up leading a movie like this, which is a little, you know, you're right. Uh, like, it's not as salacious. It has a little more an air of prestige about it. She gives a really solid performance, and then, you know, they dub the hell out of her. And weirdly enough, the person who dubs her doesn't sound markedly different from Ingrid friggin' No. Bell. Well, and that's what they talk about that on the, there's a commentary she did. She did several commentaries for this movie, but she did one with the director, with Peter Sesdy and, and the writer. Um, and they sort of danced around the dubbing. I mean, she made, she made it pretty clear that she was very disappointed that that had happened. And it wasn't something that was, as, as was typically the case in Hammer Productions, they didn't really like let her know that that was going to be a thing until you know, well after sort of post-production and everything. Um, Do you think this is why she didn't work with him again? Well, it was, it was, you know, it it was the Carreras of it all. It wasn't something that the filmmaker decided to do. You know, this wasn't a director thing. Yeah. But I do think it, it drove her to pursue other avenues. Plus like she was close with um, uh, James Carreras and he, he had, gone by then you know so i think once he was out of the picture she was less interested in working with uh hammer i could see like somebody being like ali how would you feel like what give us your perspective as an actor like how would you react in this day and time to having led a film and then discovering like during the premiere that your performance had been dubbed by somebody else I don't know how I feel. I feel like I'd have to laugh at it because I'd be like, this is fucking dumb. Especially if they're not <laughs> dumb because they can't understand what I'm saying. Or if it's in a different language. Like, it would just, like okay, just so we're clear. Haven't watched this movie. Uh, is it just they just dubbed her with a different voice, but she's still speaking English? Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, so, yeah they just... I think it's kind it. of lame. Like, why, why would you even go through the effort of doing that? Well, and this was something Hammer was sort of notorious for. They would do it if they just, like, literally, if Carreras was like, oh, I don't like her voice. I just don't think her voice is, you know, her voice is too deep. It's too, you know, it needs to be more feminine. And he would just have someone dub over a voice. With her, it was her accent, is what he said in this one. But she had just done a movie for them. Yeah, because didn't she Where they didn't dub her. Or whatever? Yeah, right. Yeah. And they didn't dub her in that. So she was like, well, if my accent was a problem, why didn't you dub me there? And and they, you know, there was no good answer. It was, it it felt largely at the whim of just how Carreras tended to be feeling at that time. Um, But that was a, that was a James Carreras thing. Especially considering like, okay, so I think Pitt's accent actually would have been, uh, um, you know, a positive for the film. And she's, all got accent. Like, she's got a great voice. She's got a great voice. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a big mistake. I think it's something that, that really hurts the movie, especially in retrospect, like as a, as a pit fan, like people watching this movie, it's very evident that it isn't her. Um, and it's a shame and it's distracting, you know, and, and you shouldn't be distracted when so much, is going on emotionally like this movie has so many interesting emotional undertones like we didn't talk about it but like even just the will reading scene is really interesting 
like it's really interesting character work across the board. You have a bunch of different people in there and it feels very modern um, and kind of out of touch with the time. Like, again, to me, this was the time when Hammer was trying to make movies that appealed to like teenagers. What the hell? This movie is so adult. Like, this isn't a teenager movie. <laughs> this is a movie all. about like mortality and coming to terms oh. with your age and the, the, your lost youth. And it's quiet and reserved and introspective. Like this is Shakespearean in some ways. Like this is not, you know, what kids wanted to see in 1971. And I'm wondering, Paul, we did neglect at the very beginning of this to provide a synopsis for those of our listeners who maybe haven't seen this movie. And Allie, you haven't seen it either. Are you familiar with the plot? Uh, Like roughly what the movie is about. Yeah, like I'm familiar with all of that. And my whole thing was, was when we were supposed to record this episode last week, I got the Blu-ray and I was like, well, I didn't watch it over the weekend. I'm not going to watch it twice in one day. This movie isn't hot rod. Like, I can't do that. <laughs> and then when you're like, we'll reschedule it for a week. I was like, cool, I have this whole week to watch it. And then throughout the week, I just fucked off and definitely didn't even bother even trying to watch it. <laughs> All right, so for <laughs> listeners and Allie, quality. Yeah. I, I will note that Countess Dracula, um, at, per IMDb, <clears throat> in 17th century Hungary, elderly widow Countess Elizabeth Nadasdi maintains her misleading youthful appearance by bathing in the blood of virgins regularly supplied to her by faithful servant Captain Doobie. That's fairly, I mean, it's essentially... A servant and a captain. Well, and we should we should also mention it's it's based on the true story of Elizabeth Bathory. Which why did um, they not call her that? Why did they because they I, use her actual married name, which was Nadazdi in real life, but yeah. everybody knows and the fucking also story the as Elizabeth Bathory. At some point, don't they? Uh I think so. Sure. And and, and it, their idea was because you know, Dracula's obviously based on you know a real figure so they wanted to kind of do that like the female dracula and hence the countess dracula moniker um and the the real woman was like so much worse uh, oh my god know. yeah bathory was so much worse she killed like 600 virgins just to like bathe in their blood yeah. and be young again they yeah, call like her in horrific ways like you oh, know not also, just murdering but like boss. torture and like mutilation and can't and cannibalization and just really fucked up shit um, there's actually just... a great a really really good um visual essay by kat ellinger on oh, on uh, bathory um and it's on the uh imprint blu-ray the imprint blu-ray is loaded with special features by the way um i haven't even got a chance to go through them all yet um but yeah that that the visual essays by kat ellinger are like worth the purchase alone but um with but yeah. the um uh, paul i i said elizabeth nadasdi which is her name in the movie Mm-hmm. Um, according to the Hearns Barn book, uh, the Hammer Story, they know, you know what? I didn't even make any notes on this. I just wanted to read the opening paragraph to preface everything. They note, were it not for the curiosity of a Jesuit priest living in Budapest in 1729, Countess Dracula might never have been made. He unearthed documents dated January 2nd, 1611, which had been suppressed by the Catholic Church for over a century. Documents recorded the cross-examination of four servants called as witnesses before the court that tried Hungarian noblewoman Erzabeth. Hello? You cut out, Jinx. Is he gone again? He does this. God damn it, Jinx. Classic Jinx. God. It's all right. 
we can uh, we can talk about the, <laughs> the movie we're watching. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can you know I can I can oh. fill in a little bit. Uh, Jinx, are you back? Jinx. Oh, I, I, you you cut out like thirty to forty seconds ago. Son of a bitch! I read the entire thing. Oh, yeah, all that was gone. All that's gone. Ah, fucking hell. Okay, let's try this again. <clears throat> okay, so from the Hammer story, the uh, book by Marcus Hearn and Alan Barnes. It opens with Countess Dracula, the chapter on it. Were it not for the curiosity of a Jesuit priest living in Budapest in 1729, Countess Dracula might never have been made. He unearthed documents dated January 2nd, 1611, which had been suppressed by the Catholic Church for over a century. The documents recorded the cross-examination of four servants called as witnesses before the court that tried Hungarian noblewoman Ersebet Bathory, a.k.a. the Beast of... Seath says something like that. It's uh, spelled C-S-E-J-T-H-E. Make that what you will. The Countess, once married to Ferenc Nadazdi, was walled up inside her own castle, having been found guilty of the murders of over 300 women. Her atrocities were manifold. She froze girls alive, jabbed hot needles beneath their fingernails, cut their flesh, and made them grill it. She was most noted, however, for bathing in the blood of peasant girls, believing it might keep her young. This woman was stupendously fucked up and the movie kind of uh borderline disneyfies her yeah i i think she's meant to be a sympathetic character um in the film which you know whether or not it's successful at that is is up for debate i think and i but i also think the movie impressively recognizes that that sympathy or that empathy comes with like a complicated asterisk, you know, like it's well aware that, that she is because the movie begins by showing you she's a bad person. You know, she, she does, she is seen torturing her, her housewomen, you know, like burning them and scolding them and being cruel to them for no other reason than to exercise power, you know, and, and feel in charge. Um, and then when she sort of comes to realize that that their blood, which later we realize is virginal blood, does in fact make her young again, she has no qualms about murdering anyone and everyone that will sustain that, right? And there's, there's absolutely zero uh, guilt felt from her perspective. So I don't think the character, I think the movie's well aware that there's, there's no way she's going to be sympathetic to the audience. But I will say Ingrid Pitt's performance lends a humanity to her in her most vulnerable moments that that I found pretty impressive, all things considered. I agree with that. Um, by the way, to Allie's point uh, as well, I looked it up, even though um, the book noted 300 murders um, and even though um, Bathory was ultimately convicted for 80 confirmed murders, as Ali noted, it's alleged that she may have killed over 600 people. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. Yeah, and uh, it's it's horrible. <laughs> and And not that many, I mean, it's funny how many like Dracula movies there are and how few movies there are about this character. Because when it and and Kat Ellinger sort of points out that when it's when it's a woman, it's it's 
it's far less savory and acceptable to the general audience. Like it's it's harder for them to romanticize that as they could with with Dracula and like culturally. And I think that's a really interesting observation. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I, I don't think she is any more or less sympathetic than, say, Christopher Lee's Dracula within, you know, the, the, the frame of Hammer, you know, and Hammer's filmography. But at the same time, Dracula post Lee has had many a sympathetic portrayal. Oh, sure. Where is that version of Elizabeth Bathory? You know, uh, there was yeah. I will say there was a movie that Julie Delpy did a handful of years ago that I have not seen. So maybe that's it. But uh, you're right. She hasn't been committed to film that much. I would say one of the pieces of film that was most impactful to me watching it, you know, that had any sort of connection to this legend was, uh, of all things, Hostel in Hostel 2. Hostel 2? Hostel 2, Hostel the, two. I was going to say that. Hostel 2. Fucking hell, that Hostel. sequence. Hostel 2. That Finally getting its due. Yeah, um, right. And who was it in that scene, the, the actress who was suspended above her? Because it was... Uh, it wasn't like a kid show that I watched growing up. It was yeah, and she was um. Gonna buy she was in Scream to. Three. She was Randy's cousin who takes the place of Randy in Scream Three. Um, Heather Matarazzo. Uh, yeah, she was in um something so dumb that I definitely watched obsessively. Uh, let's... Welcome to the Dollhouse. Oh, she was in Princess yep. Diaries. Sorry, that's what I was thinking. She's like the nerdy friend. Yeah, that is. Uh, I can't believe she's thirty-eight. That's I'm getting old. Um. <laughs> But um, my life. Yeah, that's uh, that sequence is, and you know, it's funny. It didn't even occur to me until this very moment that, you know, the hostile movies are meant to be grounded, right? And yet, that character when she bathes in uh, Heather Matarazzo's blood in that sequence, using the scythe and the yeah, the the the, the sort of the well that she. It's a beautiful yeah, sequence. It's gorgeous and horrific and amazing, and it may be the best sequence that Eli Roth has shot in his entire career. But I wonder, like, she is noted as being Elizabeth Bathory in that. And it's like, okay, was that a fucking psychopath who just called herself Elizabeth Bathory and wanted to recreate her crimes? Or is there an element of the supernatural in the hostile movies, do you think? Was she still bathing in blood, you know, all these years later and it was actually working? I like the idea that it's both. It could be either. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it, it could go the Meatballs 3 route, where suddenly your franchise is supernatural. <laughs> Meatballs That's 3, the connection. Meatballs Meatballs. 3 turns the Meatballs franchise into a supernatural franchise, because it's about the ghost of a dead stripper <laughs> who has to help a nerdy kid get laid at summer camp so she can get into heaven. <laughs> Guys, new double bill. That is Meatballs 3. And now there are ghosts in the Meatballs franchise. (laughs) (laughs) It's a game changer. I'm just saying, like, the third movie has the ability to change the rules, right? So I think Hostel 3 could have went full on into, you know, a supernatural route. I know we did get a Hostel 3 set in Vegas, but, like, I think we can retcon that out of the franchise. Yeah, that wasn't... We, we can get rid of that guy. That, 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 one, that one can go. <laughs> you know what's weird about the third movie is that it is... They got Scott Spiegel, the guy who directed Intruder, to do it. And I honestly feel like the movie's biggest failing is the fact that, um, you know, he didn't quite... You could tell he 
didn't have the budget that he needed to realize his vision for that movie because his his stuff is always about like cool trick shots and inventive camera work and craziness and when he's given a solid budget it works and when he's not you know it doesn't work quite as well but what's fun about Hostel 3 at like the story level is that it subverts your expectations for basically every step of the story have, have you both seen Hostel 3 oh yeah I so saw like, it like a really, really long time ago, like so right when it came out, I think. Everything that we're expecting about that movie, you know, like in the opening sequence, you see like a dumb American guy and you think he's being preyed upon by, you know, two women in this foreign land that he strode into. And it turns out, no, he's actually the villain. And then later on, you, you know, just every step of the way you're expecting it to zig and instead it decides to zag. And I thought that was kind of fun. Um but yeah, overall, the movie is not a success. Weirdly enough, I'm surprised that the franchise ended there. It feels like it's uh, overdue for a fourth installment or a reboot or something. Yeah, I mean, if The Purge can get five movies, why couldn't Hostel? Yeah. I think yeah. I think we're due for a legacy sequel. I think bring, bring Roth back. Let mm-hmm. him do something a little bigger with it. That could be cool. Because I liked I liked how Hostel Two sort of opened up the world a little bit. It did. Um, you know, I love the bidding sequence. I thought that was phenomenal. Um, I I think Hostel Two is is an unsung movie to a certain extent because a lot of people like to sort of I don't know shit on that one, and I think it's a pretty good flick. But I do too. I think I, I think both of them are surprisingly strong, and I I agree with you. I think it's a <laughs> lot of fun to start the second movie and realize that, okay, we're going to go through the same beats, but we're going to pull back the curtain and let you see what's yeah. happening behind the scenes this I, time. Yeah. I love the lighting in the scene, by the way. Sorry not to talk about the movie that we're watching, but that last scene with the firelight on the walls, like that reminded me of some of hammers better lighting, you know, back Wait, in the day a little I, bit. As you told me to pause it. I, I, I didn't. I think there was there was a joke in there. Was there it not? was a joke? Oh shit! Okay, I have to skip ahead a bit. <laughs> okay, so with it, pause. We're, like, we're at minute. <laughs> I never paused it. Hang we're on, I'm going to pause very quickly just to see. Yeah, twenty six, twenty eight, What's happening? I don't have numbers on my screen. If you hit. This is, this is that this is that good good well, the commentary the character that you have no idea who he is because you haven't seen the movie is now walking into a room <laughs> they're about to play chess i can i comment on that character really quick because that's grandmaster fabio the castle historian Ooh, the castle and uh played by maurice denim and that man is the real mvp of this film he is not only one of my favorite characters in this movie, he's one of my favorite Hammer people. Like, I love this man. He's so great. He's like the 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 Merlin esque character of the movie. He's like this old sort of. He just he he's like this old man who everyone thinks is sort of out of it, and not really paying attention, but he's the smartest one there, and he knows exactly what's going on, and he's sort of trying to undermine those who are committing wrongdoings without being found out and manipulating things behind the scenes. Um, and he's, he's just a, a really fun character. It's it's, and he's kind of a breath of fresh air in this movie because it, it's a very self serious movie. 
Um, but his sort of like whimsical old mannishness is kind of a, a nice uh, counterpoint to, um, you know, the the gothic horror of it all. Yeah, he's marvelous. He's he's the best human being in the story and maybe like the mm-hmm. soul. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, well, well, yeah, uh, Elizabeth's probably, daughter, I mean, but and and Toth is a good guy for the most part, although he's yeah. a little he's a bit of a creep, I guess. Like yeah. it, it's revealed that he's a bit of a creep when he gets yeah. drunk and starts hitting on everybody. But um, with the uh, with Fabio, though, I mean, and this is no knock against Maurice Denham. And I guess the case could be made that the character would need to be a little bit older. But somehow, some way, while watching the movie, I got the feeling that, you know, this was kind of like the Michael Ripper role in a movie that doesn't have Michael Ripper in it. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, I could see Ripper playing that character. Um, You know, he's not. Yeah, I could see it. I, I agree. I think that that that's very much a Ripper kind of role. I do think it is curious, the notion that the movie. Not only does there you go. Oh, <laughs> did I cut out? Am I back? You're back. Oh, the editing this episode is going to take. Um because I'm nowhere around where you guys are apparently. <laughs> Here I can we're we're at minute we're about to be at minute thirty in like okay, thirty so seconds. You passed the will reading. Oh is dear. there a scary old lady with a black veil just assaulting the house wench? And now she's staring longingly at two people yeah, walking. Really away. early on. Yeah, that's that's like much earlier. We're oh. like we're like half an hour into the. We're, okay. we're like a third of the way through. There is a circus stomping through the streets. Yes, the circus. Right that's where we're at. A circus. So, uh, okay. A circus. Which I, I'm I'm excited to talk about the circus. Okay, so we have some belly dancers dancing with their bellies. Paul. I was going to make a note about uh, Elizabeth Bathory and a a very curious issue with her aging and de-aging. But before I do that, I know you're super keen to talk about the circus here. Go! So, it feels like, given that, you know, we already watched Vampire Circus, right? We talked about that. Um, Here we have another circus, which, which... is not as crazy, obviously, as the like circus and circus. vampire circus. But you know, it 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 gives off a little bit of those vibes, and it makes me wonder: like, did Hammer think like teenagers in the seventies were just like super into circuses, <laughs> <laughs> like old timey circuses? It's what the kids want these days, Paul. I mean, everything you read is like, we wanted to give the kids what they want. Old timey circuses. Like, it's just such a I I love it because it it adds a little bit of flavor to this sort of stuffy movie. Right. Like, you know, it's a bunch of aristocrats in their castle, you know, creeping around being horny and angry and drunk. Um, (laughs) and, And then we get this like freewheeling circus with you know gypsies and you know there's there's a bit of uh uh an overtness to their sexuality and liveliness that is a bit offensive to you know the old version of ingrid pitt's character to the countess and she sees that and it's kind of an affront to all of the things that she can't seem to grasp Right. Because even though she's consistently regaining her youth, it's always being taken from her right at the the very last minute, you know, right at the point of 
um, you know, getting some sort of gratification or pleasure out of it. Right. So th- there's a very clear theme in this movie where every time they're about to uh, sort of, you know, have sex or something, it, it's it's ripped away. Like that's when she ages, you know, or something interrupts them. Um, so they can never quite feel that sort of satisfaction that she feels youth is going to provide to her. So I think I think the circus is an interesting metaphor for that youth uh, that that the movie's kind of leveraging. Well, you know, even for any offense that she might take, I mean, she should have seen it as, uh, you know, kind of a convenience. It's kind of like an Ulta or a Sephora just popping up right at her doorstep. Right. True. I did think it was interesting that what the fuck with the pig getting split in half? That's the pig uh, is upsetting to see. Oof. It's upsetting to see that. Is it real? Is it rubber? Like, I think it's real. I'm I'm gonna say real. <laughs> it would make sense if it were real, but it does look fake. And then they could feed the whole cast and crew with it. Yeah, and and think about like Hammer in the '70s. Would they have actually made a fake pig like probably for that rather than just buy a dead one and chop it up? Buy a dead pig, cut it open. Yeah, but uh, be a lot know, cheaper. The hell of it is though, if it is real, it looks fake. You know what a waste. Um. <laughs> But, um, no, sorry, (laughs) but you're right. I, I, I do think they probably did feed their crew for the day. Uh, bacon for everyone at lunch. We all ate pig. It's a good amount of meat. (laughs) I'm from the country. I know. All right. (laughs) Wait a second. Is anyone's television not muted in the background? Oh, mine isn't. I'll turn it down though. I don't know if you guys can hear it. Okay. We're good. Um, and I completely forgot what I was going to say now. That's no, cool. Damn. It's cool. Well, fine. Again, no, I, I... no, no, no. Sorry, I remember now. Um, uh, no, the point I was going to make earlier, I thought it was really interesting <laughs> that. Well, and uh, let me know if you all think like obviously the movie, even for having kind of the feel of you know, Paul, you and I had talked about this before a little bit of uh, you know, like Rasputin the Mad Monk where it felt like more of a biopic than a straightforward, um, you know, supernatural horror film. Even for that, there is the obvious supernatural thing where it's like, okay, I don't care if the real Elizabeth Bathory bathed in blood because she thought it was going to make her young. The fact that the movie actually shows that for whatever reason, a splash of blood will make her young. You know, I, I, that's, it's a stretch certainly, but I did think, you know, if you can buy into that premise, it's really neat that, Every time she uses, as it were, you know, whenever she comes off of like using the blood and she ages again, she ages so much more than she had before, you know, she used the blood in the first place. And it really does like it kind of makes it a, a, a story of addiction in a way, I think, in a really interesting way. Well, it's it's a it's it's another take on the Dorian Gray mythology, right? Like the more Dorian Gray, the more awful things he did, the worse he looked in his painting. It wasn't just his aging. It was his, the measure of his character being manifest in his physicality. Um, and, and to your point, the same thing's happening with the countess. Um, as she does these terrible things, her graceful aging becomes grotesque. Um, and any any chance of love is lost. You know, at the beginning of the film, she has a chance at love with uh, with with Captain Doby. 
he he wants her. He wants to be with her. He's, he even says, like, I'm happy, you know, we, we can finally be together. Um, and then she obsesses over, you know, this opportunity at youth and some other younger man who she's lying to, who doesn't even know who he's truly falling in love with. Although, again, that might be a knock on his character is that realistically it's lust. It's not love. Yeah. He doesn't know anything about this woman. Um, and the only reason he wants to marry her is because he, he wants to have sex with her. I mean, that's essentially, you know, laid out before us. But had she just accepted her lot, she could have lived, you know, a, a hand a good amount of time with someone that wanted to be with her with in in a life of of wealth and luxury um and and you know ha- could have enjoyed it with her daughter uh and we haven't even talked about the horrible shit she's done to her daughter um but but I do think it's you know I think that's a really interesting dichotomy there and 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 it does compare to Rasputin you know I we talked about this over text like this movie feels more Rasputin than Dracula to me Hundred percent. I think the title Countess Dracula is almost a bit misleading um, because it isn't the movie you're going to get. Um, and, and it very much is about a person trying to sort of get the best possible life for themselves at the cost of anybody else. You know, no matter what that is, no matter who that is, no matter who you have to use, manipulate, whatever, it's worth doing if you ultimately, you know achieve the satisfaction you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, And it is, you know, it's funny. We were talking about the sort of sympathy that the character can kind of engender in audiences a bit, but at the same time, I mean, as soon as we're reminded of what she's putting her daughter through, whenever we cut back to her daughter, all of that is lost. I was oh, just, yeah. you know, no, it, it serves constantly, you know, even more so, and I hate to say this, even more so than her murdering people. It's like, okay, you're doing that to your own daughter, like you're putting her through that, you know, you're putting her in kind of harm's way in that way. You know, he, uh, I just, I, I despise this woman by the end of the movie. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And her... Oh, sorry. Isn't that the point of this whole thing, is that we're supposed to despise her by the end? We're all supposed to feel for her, right? <laughs> Well, I think, you know, uh, to Paul's point earlier, I think by virtue of Ingrid Pitt's performance, there is a humanity to her that maybe she probably didn't even have on the page and probably didn't have in, you know, real life, as it were, you know, the actual person. But I, I think Ingrid Pitt does find the humanity in this really awful person, and we can at least understand her on some level, even if we can never agree with what she's doing. So in that way, I think the movie is kind of working harder than it really even needs to. Uh, and it makes me appreciate it a little bit more than I think I would have otherwise. Yeah, I think there's an element of, you know, her feeling her youth was wasted, right? Like, that's that's kind of, it's never explicitly stated. But, like, the fact that she wants to have this great love story as a young woman suggests that she didn't have that when she actually was young. And the man she married was probably a marriage of wealth and convenience and blah, 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 blah. Um, She obviously didn't love her husband (laughs) who, who knows if he was a good man or not. He was friends with this Toth guy and a lot of people seem to respect him, but my 
feeling is, you know, given who she is and what she's sort of become, is that he probably wasn't all that great either. Um, and I imagine she was kind of created of this lifestyle and of this sort of culture that's built up around the aristocracy. Um, you know, as Hammer loves to uh, sort of pick apart the wealthy class and make them into horrific villains. So I think that I think as she reclaims her youth, there's an innocence that she sort of is attempting to also reclaim. And when she when she does sort of occasionally tap into that youthful innocence, that's when there are moments of kind of a you know like the stepfather where it's like a who am i here sort of moment where it's like wait oh no i'm not this person you know i'm faking this but when she is innocent and young you see her as someone who maybe hasn't done all these terrible things yet as she wishes she could see herself and again that i agree that that all comes from Pitt doing something really interesting with this part that i'm i don't think another actress would have probably done um, and when you hear her talk about the movie, that that comes through. But yes, to your point, Ellie, I mean, by the end of the movie, everything she's done is is still there and very apparent and it's awful. And she's made other people do terrible things and she completely gets her comeuppance and deserves it. You know, it is curious, though. I mean, even though she as an actor is bringing, again, that kind of humanity and that, you know, some measure of sympathy to the character it is curious to hear her talk about the movie uh, in terms of like, you know, she felt that it didn't quite go far enough. Uh, She was hoping that, you know, she didn't think it was cruel enough. She didn't think it was horrifying enough. You know, it needed, and this is a direct quote, it needed more cruelty, throat slashing, bloodhounds, blood. Uh, And apparently she wasn't the only way to one to feel that way. Uh, Hammer and Carreras had just struck a deal with uh, the rank organization, which they'd worked with before, but they were going to produce four movies together. And this was the first one. And apparently rank wasn't that happy with the film either, at least in terms of, uh, you know, this is a horror film. Where is the blood? Where's the bloodshed? Where's the gore? Where's the violence? You know, they felt it. Mm -hmm. And he's gone. (laughs) Oh my God. Get your shit together, Jinx. So, Allie, so far, uh, from what you've seen, what what are your thoughts on this one as it compares to some of the other Hammer movies you, you've watched? I'm into it. I like the idea of... I mean, I'm always into the idea of, A, the lead being a woman, also being a villain. Yeah. So I'm interested to see her get, like... I don't want to be sympathetic for her because she is a monster. But yeah. I do to see how Ingrid Pitt humanizes her because I do think Ingrid Pitt is just a whirlwind of talent. We're in a Hammer Pub, by the way. <laughs> this is a perfect representation of the Hammer Pub. This is this is what we're all about here is people going into small enclosed spaces that look kind of dirty and drinking. <laughs> I mean, that's the only kind of places I drink. I mean, I guess apart from my apartment. It's, yeah, true. It is weird, though, like, post-pandemic or in mid-pandemic. I don't know where we are. Um, but seeing, like, a small place like that and 
seeing all the people close together and being like, oh, that would be so uncomfortable. Even though, like, we were all in places like that a million times. <laughs> like, a year and a half ago. But now I'm like, nope, that's too many people. You're all way too close. Yeah. Like, do you think you'll ever be able to go back to that? Fully. Mentally. I... Like, part of me wants to be like, heck yes, that's what, that's the goal, is to go back to shit like this. Yes. It's yeah, like, for sure. Then there are people who are going to ruin it for us, and that's why we're in yeah. a fourth wave, even though we should be all vaccinated. Super true. Yeah. That drives me crazy. Yeah. The whole, yeah. Truly drives me crazy. What's driving me (sighs) is that they're both, they're sitting in a full booth meant for like four people and they just refuse to move over. So that guy has to sit on a stool at the end of the table. That is super shitty. Well, and this scene's really interesting. This was the first scene where I started to feel like, um, uh, what's his face? Toth was kind of a shitty guy. The, the boyfriend character to Ingrid Pitt who yeah. inherits all the stables. Um, you know, everyone else in the movie is already pretty obviously shitty, but like he seemed sort of straight and narrow. And then the way he interacts, like, like this scene right here where he like kisses her this breast. For, yeah. Like that is so not what a cool, like a normal <laughs> person <laughs> <laughs> like is engaged to somebody would do like that's not cool and it suggests you know that he would probably do more than that because he's sober at that point he's definitely not drunk yet well as i've learned from rewatching concession like as the king and queen you're allowed to bang a peasant every now and then <laughs> yeah that doesn't count yeah it doesn't count as long if they're as not they're in the royal court royal- they're not like a real person yeah they're just some bar whore. So as long as that's who you're going for, then it's fine. <laughs> that's a cool shot there. I was I, I like where it like goes out of focus, zooms in, and she's suddenly old. Yeah. Again, I, I think the filmmaking is pretty solid. It it's a little bit dry in terms of like and when I when I say that, when I think about um some of the Roy Ashton lit movies uh, and photograph movies like back in the Terrence Fisher days um, with all the like cool like Brides of Dracula is probably the epitome of that with like the weird reds and purples and this gorgeous lighting that just brings every set to life. This movie is much more traditional. You know, there's interesting lighting, but but no, you know, no color scheme to really elicit like imagination it's it's just kind of classic gothic horror yeah um and i and i miss that that panache a little bit here i don't know i wonder how it might have helped uh the overall feel of the film yeah, especially for like those cutscenes where all of a sudden she's old again. Like we could have used a flash of something or Yeah, right? Like, like some cool weird light. Like, same thing. Yeah, like I, I think that that would because the light can sort of mirror the emotional reactions that are happening. Yeah. Um and and I I feel like I associate that with Hammer just as much as the gothic nature of it all. Um because all of Hammer's sort of golden age films kind of had an element of that for the most part. But I guess, 
I guess that kind of died <laughs> in the 70s. It just died. They're reaching for content. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, and that's true. Like, they really were. Like, it, it became a lot more about taking big swings with the story and ideas than yeah. it did with the actual, like, look and feel of the movies. Um. And I feel like they got away from some of the stuff that made Hammer really, really special early on. Having said that, I really like this movie. And, and you know, we were talking uh, the other week about sort of how certain how like Vampire Circus could kind of be in league with Captain Kronos. I feel like this could, too. Like, I feel like Captain Kronos could totally show up and kill her. <laughs> oh, I love this guy with the white face paint. The guy from the circus is so creepy. Yeah. Just selling his wares. Well, and he's so like full of vitriol towards the upper class. And he's so representative to me of like the town itself. Who's kind of unwilling to show that truth. But yeah. his face paint acts as like a mask in a way. Like, so he's able to sort of reveal how they truly feel about them. I think that's a great little moment. Again, Hammer does not appreciate the aristocracy. <laughs> they well, I mean, they, I, uh, they I, have problems. <laughs> they have complaints to lodge. I have many complaints to lodge with the rich, so I agree. My, I said something about rich people the other day, and my kids were like, rich people are bad guys. <laughs> Like my daughter said, yes, yes. They my are. daughter was like, "Rich people are the bad guys, right?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess." Well, we could get into it, but yeah, I mean, moral of the story. That's yeah. Oh, well, and then she asked me what the difference. She's like, "Well, what makes someone poor and what makes someone rich?" And I was like, "This is a big conversation. Yeah, I, don't, I don't want to define this for you." <laughs> I, I basically said, you know, if if you can only spend on that which you need you're more closer to the to the poor or middle class camp and if you if you freely spend money on the stuff that you want you know then you're you're more wealthy and rich i guess but it's it's needs versus wants right in a way is what it kind of boils down to it's good that you explained it like that and not like, well, you're rich if you have a lot of friends and a lot of love. In your yeah, it, I, I was like, when I'm talking about this, I'm, I'm specifically talking about wealth, not like <laughs> quality of character or anything along those lines. But but the other thing I was I, and again, sometimes I go too big with my explanations. But I was like, ultimately, though, the problem is when when you when you when you're only spending on on what you need, you have more of an appreciation for those things that you have. Yeah. When you freely spend on what you want, nothing, you know, everything loses its value, you know, because because you, you you can you have so much of it. So I was like, there is a benefit to frugality in that way. But anyway. So is he just bringing home this bar whore that he met? Well, Absolutely. So so what's happening essentially is that Captain Dobby. Dobby, Harry Potter, uh, got them, Captain Dobie got them rich, or got them drunk, rich, I'm, I'm confused, um, got Toth drunk, and basically paid this, this uh, woman of the night uh, uh, yeah. to come home with them to the castle, 
Um, and he's so inebriated that he, you know, Toth is so inebriated. He doesn't know what's going on. And, um, Dobie wants to sort of put them in a position to be caught by the countess. So that way she'll go back to him. Ooh, I like what this guy's head's at. All right. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's basically trying to undermine the countess's love affair. Uh, because he himself lusts after her and she keeps promising him that that he'll get to basically have sex with her in the young form but she never actually delivers on that promise so she's using she's not only using her her womanly wiles to seduce toth she's using it to control uh dobie oh i'm into that this makes me wish that I had watched the movie prior to just now, but like, I'm not giving up. I hey, this is the best kind of commentary. It's, it's like a live reaction. Yeah, it's a live reaction. I like everyone. Also, just, I could literally write a whole book about how much I love the costumes from Hammer Horror Films. Like, they're just yeah. so good. And the hairstyles, like, not so much in this one, but in like Vampire Circus, mm-hmm. like, they were just so good. Well, and. The sets too, and one thing I will say about the post seventies Hammer films, and and I know this is sort of like blasphemous, but getting away from Bray, Bray Studios, allowed them to make movies that felt kind of bigger, right? Like they they feel more expansive, like like moving on to L Street Studios allowed them and other places. Just it feels like a wider scope a lot of times. Like this castle, I, I don't know that they could have really done this in Bray. Um, and I think it it adds a lot to the movie. It adds so much to the movie. But I just like the way Pitt transitions from young to old, the way her confidence sort of fades and becomes groveling and 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 it all still feels incredibly calculated you know like it doesn't it, yeah. none of it feels altogether authentic but it's functional for what she needs it to 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 do and i like how effectively she's able to control these people even when she isn't beautiful or traditionally beautiful right yeah. however you want to define it Yeah, I'm into it. I'm also into the like effects makeup that they did to make her look old because she's still like she's still beautiful, but now they've aged her up like a good. Well, amount. yeah, that's that that's like, kind of my thing. Crazy. Yeah, it's like there there is there is grace in aging, right? Yeah. Like especially if you embrace that. Um, it's when you try to, you know, fight the natural process of life that you end up becoming something uh, I I don't like the word uh, sort of grotesque right I mean there are there are people that refuse to age and I think it's a good metaphor like this story as as sort of old as it is even taking place in a you know completely removed time period is very relatable to today there there are people that will fight the aging process at every turn you know their surgeries and this that and the other that end up you know making a, a person look and again you know to each their own and what people need to do is to feel 
good. I'm not going to, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, but sometimes there's an inauthenticity that comes along with that manipulation that if you were just allow yourself to be what you are, you can, you would look more, more beautiful, you know? Um, and, and your what you want out of life changes as you get older. You know, what I found, if you asked, Hey, 16 year old Paul, what's beautiful. My answer would be different then that it would be at 35, you know, like it's, it's going to change as you get older and it should change because you know, you, you change and your tastes change. And right, exactly. And, and there's, there's kind of a beauty in that. Um, but when you attempt to sort of dislodge the order of things, you know, regardless of how outwardly beautiful you might be able to temporarily make yourself, there's, there's a gnawing sort of reality that's, that's eventually going to break through. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, not to get too philosophical in Countess Dracula. I feel deep. <laughs> <laughs> I do uh, apologize. Ooh, I do love in like older movies when you see someone like using their finger to go over the lines of a book, so you know that they're reading. That that's that's pretty solid. Um, yep, there we are. There we are. Yeah. <laughs> I sense. like I like that the title too is blood sacrifices. <laughs> like, yeah, blood sacrifices. <laughs> and he's he's reading it vociferously. I love that character so much. I I wish I could put Grandmaster Fabio like into a bunch of Hammer movies. Like I just want him to show up. Just superimpose him. Do a deep fake, and he just shows up randomly. <laughs> He he would totally work in so many of them. Like he could be in Phantom. He could be in Phantom of the Opera, hundred percent. Is is Jinx just fully gone? I mean, he's <laughs> been gone for like fifteen minutes, and I'm watching my phone. He said he was going to text. You know, this is us. We prophesized this, Ellie. We did. We talked we about kicking Jinx off, and. I mean, we seem to be doing okay. <laughs> He's going to burn the blood sacrifices. Okay, this is this is this is the moment for me when he he goes full badass. He's like, "I know what you're doing. I know you need this. I need yeah. you to need me." <laughs> I'm burn all these pages that I yanked out of this book. Have you seen uh the like 19 gosh like 41 version of picture portrait of dorian gray oh yeah i love the dorian gray story like that oh my god it's such a good movie um good but doesn't this remind you of that like with her like every time she ages she gets like a little weirder looking with like boils on her face and a little worse like she starts yeah she starts having that witch look to her where she has you know yes yeah yeah the witch look yeah i mean it's so it just that was the first thing i thought of i was like oh it's like a like a dorian gray hammer movie without a painting (laughs) without a painting no she's just Killing Virgin. Oh my god. That just made me think that how cool would it be to see a Hammer Dorian Gray movie? Why didn't they go about oh, that? Oh, that would have been so good. Like, if they're doing all these stories to begin with, especially with this one with the whole idea of yeah, staying bad that would have fit like, so well. And I'm someone... pretty sure that's public domain. Like, I yeah. think anybody can do it. 
Yeah, they missed the chance. I love the Dorian Gray story, and I feel like it never really got its due. Like, it never really got its, like, heyday of being a popular story. Yeah. Just kind of know it. It's weird that, like, the best version of it is from the 40s. (laughs) Like, that nobody made one, or at least not one that I've seen. I mean, I know there's been other versions, but, like... Yeah, like, I feel like the only one I vividly remember is... I feel like Penny Dreadful had a storyline. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, that wasn't enough. I needed way more. I, I feel like you could make that, like, you could remake that now and make and make a really solid movie. Oh, a thousand percent. See, like, there, and here's a good example of, like, this is salacious material, in this movie, but it, it it's treated in such a way that it's more intellectualized. Like he's shopping for a you know, like a prostitute basically. And as opposed to it just being thrown in your face and, and whereas that's that's sort of the, the reputation these later hammer movies get is that they're oh well they're all just about sex, blood and violence and you know that they went down down the drain and i'm like that's did, did you watch these movies like i feel like the reputation these movies have are from people who just didn't watch them or from critics at the yeah. time who had no idea what they were talking about i agree i'm also really into the fact that he just bought a prostitute who was like well i'm bringing my goat with us and also a goat <laughs> we can do whatever you want there boy but i mean gonna- that's a pretty good deal <laughs> yeah <laughs> To get a goat along with it? I mean, forget about it. I know, right? How much do you think a goat, like, cost back then? Um, How much does it cost now? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like... A hundred dollars. I don't know. <laughs> you could say any number. A thousand? How much? A goat, literally, that's a, such a good point. To me, right now, a goat could cost $100, or you could tell me it cost $1,000, and I would not bat an eye. Like, yeah, it, so it, I av- have no idea how much a goat costs. The average price for a goat, depending <laughs> on breed and sex, is from 100 to $800. Okay, so I was kind of close, because yeah, I said one to 1000 <laughs> I feel pretty I proud of that. that be like, that's... what, like 5 to 50 bucks for a goat? I was looking at... um. <laughs> Five to fifty bucks for a goat. I was looking at uh, reviews of this film from the time that it came out, and it's really interesting. Like uh, the New York Times said, it was better than most horror movies in a sea of trashy competition. I guess that's true. <laughs> um, one of them called it extremely poor uh, across the board, including the acting. Okay, uh, that one's wrong. Right, which I think is kind of crappy. Uh, brings to the part, uh, but they did say that Pitt brings to the part a very potent aura of physical corruption that is especially effective in the transformation sequences. So they did recognize Pitt at the time uh, for sort of turning in an interesting performance. Okay, so this yeah, scene I find really interesting. So her sort of embracing her lover as her son, like as her, you know, son-in-law, but calling him son. 
and the pain in her eyes. Like, mm-hmm. to me, this is telling a story that goes way beyond the walls of this movie. Like I was mentioning earlier, like, she never she never experienced, like, a love affair. Like, a true love affair, you know? Like, I'm getting the impression that she her and her know. husband had a incredibly loveless marriage. <laughs> yeah. I would I would agree. And then we go back to the daughter, which this is some of the most. Yeah, this up. is really not okay. Like, yeah, I... she, she's just getting sex trafficked now. Like, it's very sad. And her own mother did it. Like, yeah, like orchestrated her kidnapping. Like, my God. And every time you cut to her, it's so heartbreaking because there's multiple times where she almost gets away and you just see her get dragged back. And I'm like, my God, like, let. Just let this part end. It's it's a little bit, it, it's unpleasant to watch. Like, it's not even fun, you know? It's just painful. It's painful. Also, I feel like because, like, they don't cut back to it enough, I forget that it was her mom who, like, mm-hmm. made all that put in place. So you're just like, oh, this is a sad storyline. Right, right. Is like, where is this going? Why do I keep seeing this? For a... um. I will say for a movie that's only 90 minutes or 93 minutes, it it takes a, a bit to get where it's trying to go. Yeah. I, I mean, and I, I, I say that with all the love in the world because I do like this movie quite a bit. Like if I was honestly, if I was making like a top 10, like these are the Hammer movies to watch to get a sense of Hammer. I think I would maybe consider putting this on it because I think it's representative of a certain type of hammer film. I mean, you know, this and Rasputin. Yeah. Like taking the villain, making them the protagonist and exploring that world through their eyes. Like, and this does it really well. And, and it's, and as you mentioned, it's female led. Um, Jinx, are you here? I am. I'm back. Uh, what, uh, what I missed Did I miss a good 20 some minutes of conversation because my internet went out. Thanks so much. Spectrum fucking internet. Is that what's going on here? Gang? Uh, You're a real hostile environment right now. This is really <laughs> negative. Not and like do. everything was For really Spectrum. positive before. I hope they feel it. I hope <laughs> Spectrum feels my fucking rage right now. This is the second <laughs> time that this has happened. I don't know. It's always been like late Monday after midnight when I drop out. I, I got to imagine there's some dick tech worker out there doing routine maintenance that for whatever reason they haven't let their customers know about. So I think I have a right to be a little upset because I missed the last 20 minutes of conversation with you two. And uh, I just I have no idea where my place is in this conversation right now. So you know what? Now that I've reintroduced myself in the loudest possible <laughs> fucking way, I'm going to go ahead and twiddle my thumbs and let you two talk. And if I feel like I can jump in at some point, uh, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I leave the floor back to you. Dude. Okay. All right. That was fun. <sighs> what a fucking uh, <laughs> Everything is really awkward now. Wow. So angry. so much anger. I imagine this is how uh, the countess feels every time she she turns old. You give me the blood of somebody who works at Spectrum right now. I'll I'll play around in it. Oh no! Oh my gosh! Wait, Fabio. Oh no, he's dead. Fabio dead. That's what happened. You guys, you this was the, the moment. This. this was the moment for me. I got a little misty-eyed. I didn't, I but I feel like I could get misty-eyed because he's my favorite character. I can't believe he's dead. 
And he died in a pretty shitty way. Like, they made it seem like he killed himself. And I feel like Fabio would never do that. No, he was holding those blood sacrifices papers that he didn't want Elizabeth to have. Yeah. Well, and this is when Toth finally, like, takes the blinders off and is like, okay, something fucked up's happening here. But I, I like that. I like that he's now stuck. I like that it goes from, you know, I'm in love to I'm stuck because it parallels presumably the countess's position as a young woman with the person she ended up marrying. This isn't a love thing. This is a, uh, you know, probably a class wealth yeah, thing. thing. And so therefore she was stuck. So I, I like that it sort of yeah. creates that same situation. Paul, I don't know how you and I hadn't already talked about this before Spectrum fucked me, but um, let's talk about Dobie's beard for a second. You you are of beard kind. What is your opinion on that thing? I do have chat? a beard. I do have a beard. Oh, my. This is, this is quite the moment. Um, it's hard to comment on his beard when Ingrid Pitt just showed up, like, covered in blood. It was mistimed. That's a fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it is worth noting, though, I didn't realize this. Again, I was reading the Hammer story, and one of the things that they had noted, the guy who plays Dobie, uh, a South African actor named Nigel Green, um, he was kind of being groomed to be a bit of a star at this time, and unfortunately, he only made two movies beyond this. Uh, He died from an accidental overdose of sleeping pills in 1972, which is really sad. I think he's, he's quite good in this movie and one wonders where his career might've gone after this. If, uh, you know, if that hadn't happened. That's really sad. I mean, he's great. I mean, Dobie is, is a great character. Um, he, his performance is really nuanced in a lot of ways. Um, so that is sad to hear. I I do love this moment where she's sort of throwing herself at him in her, you know, in her eyes, her most beautiful state. And he's just disgusted. You know, it's it's what she would have expected had she been old and haggard. Yeah. And she's incredible in this sequence, too. Uh, yeah. I mean, the look in her eyes, like she's utterly vicious in a way, you know, like I, I and I love it. I, I love this version of the character because it feels like this is the first time we kind of see the real her, you know. Uh, well, and and how quickly her her quote unquote love transforms into the same sort of conniving, backstabbing mm-hmm. relationship that she probably had with her real husband. You know how easily that becomes something, you know, of control and power and less about the romance of it all. Yeah. Yeah, she was, she's never in love with him. She's in love with the idea of being young again. Of course. Being with a young man is part of that. And I, I love that this scene sort of unveils that. And yeah, one wonders if he realizes that beyond the shock of, you know, just what he saw initially, like everything came crumbling down to him. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's, it's reminiscent of, some of the other hammer movies and stuff like that, like in the end when, you know, but, but seeing, and Ali pointed out earlier, like seeing it from a female perspective is really interesting because you, you very rarely get a, you know, a female sort of villain. That's also the main character. 
You're right. And one who's, uh, you know, I mean, I would, I wouldn't call this a slasher movie, and yet I don't think it's that much of a stretch to think of Elizabeth Bathory as a slasher of sorts. And you know, it got me wondering, like, how many female slasher movies are there out there? You know, not like, a... oh, sorry, Ali, what was that? There's not a ton. It's very sad. Definitely not enough. I mean, yeah. so we and, we, we need know. more classics like Urban Legend, right, Jinx? I mean, Allie, do you like Urban Legend? I like all of Well, I like the first two. The third one, not so much, but... Yeah, Urban Urban Legend, Bloody Mary, we can take or leave, but the first two are great. I've never seen the third one, but I I do love me some uh, Mary Lambert, so I want to see it at some point. It's all right. I, uh, I mean... Allie, by the way, you've come in very late to this uh, this long running gag between Paul and I, uh, where I pretend to hate urban legend, and he shakes his fist and says something like "old jinx." But the podcast, yeah, (laughs) I I I like the film. I think it's a lot of fun. It was just fun to give people help. Shits on urban legend all the time, which is ridiculous because it's a great movie. Beautiful movie. It's a beautiful movie. It's a beaut. Did you hear her? Beautiful. Do you know what it was? It's Do you know what it was, Allie? Movie. Do you know what kickstarted my animosity? It wasn't anything to do with urban legend per se, which I do think is a fun enough slasher that is beautifully is it because filmed. Because you tried to mix pop rocks and coke and your stomach. I knew coke? it. Knew that it. Actually, it okay, you know what? That actually happened in high school because I did a book <laughs> report on Jan Harold Brunvan's uh, The Hitchhiker and Other Tales, and I topped the entire thing off by downing a coke and a couple of packages of pop rocks and that was a bad day. Um, but did no, you die? I did. <laughs> clearly not. But did I feel like it? Maybe for a couple of minutes. Um, no. The, the the reason I have an issue with Urban Legend is because it is always being compared to I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is clearly the superior film. Allie, you would not begrudge me that. They're Come. two different movies. They're so different. And like, you can't. For a group of teens who killed somebody, these are just like. Let's, you know, talk about some urban legends and see what happens. Like it's just... okay, so you have you have two post-scream I... late 90s slasher movies with teenage CW or well, I guess at that point, WB casts. WB and cast? both movies are kickstarted by recitings of urban legends. Please tell me how wildly different these two movies are. Do you, you don't want to hear my honest answer to this, Jinx. I think it would just make you angry. I feel because... like I already know and it disappoints the hell out of me. I mean, if you ask me which one I want to sit down and watch, it's it's going to be Urban Legend every time, my friend. It's going to be uh, Urban Legend. Uh, Urban Legend is a uh, kick-ass movie. It's uh, super fun. Uh, you know, I know what you did last summer. so good in the first two. Yeah, and I love both of them. I, but I know what you did last summer is very serious, and, and it, it takes no itself better. very seriously. And, and, and it's more fun to watch like Urban Legend, which is silly. And it's having a good time, you know, it's having a good time. And there's more, you know, there's more different, different types of kills in it. I don't We need to do, we need to do an urban legend versus I know what you did last summer podcast is what it needs to boil down Ooh, to. It's there, three there would be blood so be able to do that. We need, we need like people on both sides and we need a moderator. 
Someone okay, in the Allie, middle. I, I'm calling it now. Allie, you have to be the moderator because it seems like you're kind of 50-50 here. I am I, clearly on the side of I know. Paul is clearly on the side of Urban Legend. Paul yes. gets to bring in Ryan Larson. And Ryan Larson. I will bring in Tamika, and um, we will wipe the floor with you both, Paul. I'm sorry. I but. mean, I would be into that. I could moderate that. Because, I mean, like, I am more into Urban Legend, but, like, <gasps> 10% more. So, like, I could be swayed either way. I, and this is why Allie is, is very cool. <laughs> uh, I like I'm pacing that line where I'm like, oh, that makes some good points. But look, I mean, this one, but ooh, the story in this one, like I could be on either. Yeah. Side. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, and, and they're both great movies. Like, you know, Jinx, you're the one who started all this. I like them oh, both. No, 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 you, no. You no, dragged no. somebody this else. Out. It wasn't even you. No, no, no. It wasn't even you. It was Ryan Larson drew first blood. He and Alan Dorich. You just happened to stroll into the conversation, Chief. So you kind of brought it you on were, yourself. You were disparaging Urban Legend. It had and a that movie's amazing. I've I've already bought it like four times on Blu-ray for God's sake. I sakes. believe you. Oh, I bought God. like every ridiculous release that movie has had. So we should probably talk about the ending of this movie we're watching. <laughs> She's turning on the charm here with with our favorite with, the with our favorite Dobie. Is he finally going to get some with, with her young hot version? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Would it be weird if that happened? <laughs> Just end of the movie, they're like, well, last chance. Yeah, in the end of the movie, they just straight up have sex, and that's how it ends. I mean, I'm I not know that... against that happening. I mean. He deserves it. Think of how much work he did all this movie. He's earned it. He, yeah, I mean, he's he's done a lot of work to make her young. But at the same time, you know, I think that the lack of gratification is part of what's driving everyone, right? Like, were they satisfied, they may not be willing to to do all of the terrible things that they're doing. Okay, she's in bed with him. Are we to assume they've, like, sort of... Like, made up? Yeah, or is that just what's happening here? What do we think about her her sort of nurse character handmaid julie character i like this headpiece that they're wearing she deserves a raise oh by far she i mean she's just as bad as all of them right i mean by allowing all these horrible things to happen she knows what's happening Ooh, do we ever find out what happened to that goat oh the goat I don't know. Jinx, you missed this whole conversation about how much a goat costs. (laughs) We were like, we were talking about how much we thought a ghost would have caught a goat, a ghost, a a goat would have cost back then. And then we're like, well, how much does a goat cost now? (laughs) This is the quality content that I'm pissed at. And then we looked it up and I was almost right. (laughs) It could be between one and $800. (laughs) But he like took home like a a prostitute that also brought a goat with her. Yeah, he got like a two for one. He got a prostitute and a goat. Or, you know, as they might have considered in that time, 
two prostitutes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Jeez. Man, bringing that. Yep. That, He's that just darkness. Yeah, we're all thinking. Bringing the darkness tonight. You know, you're right. She's as bad as uh, all the other people. This uh, handmaiden or whatever the hell she is. But you know what? She's got a kind face and she wields a torch like a fucking champ. And she's probably making next to nothing. So who is she to tattle? Well, in her defense, she's the one that sort of frees the, uh, I mean, spoiler alert. But she she allows the daughter to have a chance, you know? Oh, that poor daughter. It's it's crazy. Okay, so are we to assume that this nurse did not know what happened to the daughter? I think it's one of those unspoken things. Like she knows, but she's not going to bring it up. Yeah, she knows all. I yeah. Think. So why is it that you know now in the hour of sort of like? when that daughter's finally going to kind of meet her end, that the maid or the nurse finally sort of stands up to the count. Well, not stands up, but undermines her to protect the, the, uh, the countess, the young countess. Because she wants that moment of redemption. Like, yeah. And this is the moment that she's brought face to face with the victim, as opposed to her simply being an idea out there in the world. True. True, true. Well, and like, you know, obviously in this sort of world, the nurse, for all intents and purposes, is her mother. You know, like she raised her. Like, yeah. So on that level, that and that makes it a lot worse <laughs> that she went along with any plan that the Countess had. Um, but to your point, Jake, is it understandable that in when facing her, she would, you know back down from it that guy's beard much must catch so much soup i mean i know we don't see it in the movie thank god they cut around it but you know it's just that, messy to have it that far out there kind of kind of the reality of beards though man like stuff's no. gonna fall on your beard like that, if you that have a beard. fucker juts out by inches like that's it's unsanitary yeah, I try, I'm not looking straight I, I try down. to keep my beard pretty well groomed. That's, straight down that's is important fine. That thing looks like the the front of like, you know, uh, what do they call those? The things that you affix to the front of trains to clear the tracks as it's moving. Like that's what that fucker's beard is there. I do not know what those are called. I don't know what that is. A like grill? A, it's like a grill. It's something like a shovel. Like I forget what it's called, but um, a train shovel. Yeah, maybe. Those good old train shovels. Yeah, I'm going to call There's them no... train shovels. <laughs> For, As a matter of fact, that that's just what they're like, called. His entire head of hair is questionable to me because he has a bald spot, but it's in a place that no bald spot should be. And I want to know what's going on there. Maybe he just shaved a little spot on top of his head. Yeah. It's questionable. He's a questionable guy. Yeah. Ooh, is it called a cow catcher? It was bugging me. <laughs> that makes sense, actually. A cow catcher. A cow catcher. It just says an inclined frame on the front of a railroad locomotives for throwing off obstacles in the track. That's it. That Specifically is it. cows. Yeah, that's which a real, is real Which is an upsetting visual. Because that suggests that like 
trains so back in the day were expected to hit so many cows that they needed a thing attached to it to knock away all the cows. Could you imagine what that would sound like in rapid fire? Oh, it would sound gross. Also, and it would be, you know, uh, you know, Dobie, though, he's he's mooth whack, mooth whack. That, you know, what's on his face is more of maybe a goat catcher. I don't know if we could consider it a cow catcher per se, but the things it's impressive in its own right. I'm just saying there's got to be a bird or two. That fucking his mustache. Him. I don't know that I would call it impressive. Mm. I mean, it's fine. For what impressive in the way that, like, you know, a car crash can be when you slow down and stare at it. Um, it just, I, I, I don't even know how one gets one's facial hair to look like that. Do you comb it outwards? Do you, do you, comb it, wax it, you know. I imagine he had some sort of old timey beard wax. What would that be back then? You know what? Never mind. I don't want to know. I don't, these are questions I don't actually need the answers to, and I don't know why I brought it up. I have concerns. <laughs> This is important stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're running out of gas here. Um, no, I don't think I mean, so. I think we're just enjoying each other's company. No, I mean, I, I think there's... We're at the part of the movie where there's a sort of tragic inevitability to yeah. the events that are occurring, right? Like, Which tends to happen in a lot of Hammer movies, but I think it's it's particularly potent in Countess Dracula. Um, because so many of the characters' fates are wrapped up in the evils that are being committed. And, you know, once they all sort of come to a head, it's going to mean the end of not just our villain, but most of the core cast. Yeah. And there isn't really a happy ending for anyone at all, because even if, you know, the young Countess escapes... She she's gonna find out that her mother orchestrated her kidnapping. I mean, what a what a horrible thing to discover. One wonders what kind of history they have, though. I mean, how much of a mother was Elizabeth to her in the first place? Well, I mean, she was at boarding school most of her life, so obviously you're right, not much. But I'm 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 sure though that it would sting much harder to I find out she that your gets... family did it. I think she gets her inheritance and her dad's money. That's going to lessen that sting quite a bit. But still, you have to live in that shadow. Right. And I do like the moment, like, Toth meeting her and them sort of sharing that connection that they could have had. You know, like, like getting a moment of, like, oh, this is so nice and easy and wonderful. Like, this could have blossomed into something meaningful but it can't now really ever like no matter what happens, like what, what Countess Elizabeth has done has sort of negated any relationship Toth could have had with this girl. As small as the space is the way it's decorated, the way it's lit. This is a really gorgeous closing for this movie. Yes. Wedding. I really like this wedding. It's very pretty. Yeah, I like the look and feel of it. And, and again, I like it juxtaposed against the funeral at the beginning. Yeah. And it's the same sort of collection of people that were there at the beginning. Well, so there, well, there's kind of a bookend nature of it. Look at her all young and hot. <laughs> Ingrid Pitt, so hot right now. So hot right now. 
on Emery is just he's not happy. There are no shotguns present, obviously, but it has the pall of kind of like it a shotgun wedding. Shotgun wedding. Well, because there's an urgency to it, right? You know, it's like, in a way, it's like, if you marry me, if this happens, then you're stuck. I, I, to me, it's all about Ingrid Pitt's character trades in the in the nature of her sort of culture and life. And, and that re- regards, like, when you're when you're in a situation you can't leave it when you get stuck you're stuck and if she can trap this guy with her then she thinks she'll get what she wants even though it's just ultimately going to be the exact is history repeating itself because he'll be in a loveless marriage therefore she will be too you know and and just like her husband was probably lusting after her when he married her once he found out that she didn't love him and there was no connection there their relationship devolved into whatever it was that it became. So it's a cyclical thing that she can't ever really escape. Right. Shotgun. You know, you, you say it much more succinctly than I, (laughs) Oh, that poor woman. Look at her. She's, she could be the mummy at this point. Is she? This is really terrifying, though. I do remember this sequence vividly, uh, watching it as a kid. I feel like Brendan Fraser is going to kill her. Now, does Emery actually die, do you think? Yes. He he has that moment where he collapses, his eyes are wide open, but there's never any sort of follow-up with his character where... Yeah, I mean, part of me wants to believe that he is alive, but I know deep down he's not. No, I think he's dead. No, he did. <laughs> he did. He did. But also, think of the time period. If he got stabbed in the abdomen, do you think any of these doctors can save no. him? Nah. I mean, if you get a splinter, you were pretty much fucked back then. So, yeah, he's 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 a goner. Now, one wonders how long it takes all of the villains here chained up to die behind the walls of the castle. Um, which, weirdly enough, that is one thing that is not recorded about the actual Elizabeth Bathory. And that's, that's something that I kind of want to know. Like, how much suffering was done there? It's a good question. I'm sure, I'm sure like, once they caught her, there was punishment inflicted that probably wasn't very pleasant. Um, what, what do we think about the final line of the movie being Countess Dracula? What do we think about that? It's shoehorned in. I yeah, I mean it it it's a weird thing to me. I almost I almost think I would have liked it better if that word had never been uttered. Like the title of the film had just been the title and it wasn't ever in the movie directly, you know? I think calling it Countess Dracula and just ending it with them calling her Devil Woman would have almost been a more interesting kind of connection point for the audience. Yeah, but. it just, it cheapens it that they felt the need to, they probably knew going into production that it was always going to be called that. And they probably knew that it was a complete stretch, but they needed it for marketing purposes. So they had the filmmakers invoke the title on the very last frame, which is, um, you know, it's just, it's kind of, it reminds me weirdly enough talking about Ingrid Pitt Hammer movies. It reminds me of, um, you know, that weird painting at the end of The Vampire Lovers. It's just one weird little grace note at the end of the movie that 
kind of lowers it. It kind of debases mm-hmm. the film a little bit. Um, so no, I, I, I don't like it at all. It's like in the perfect storm when they call the storm the perfect storm. How dare you? <laughs> what else are you going to call it? It was the perfect storm. Yeah, but it was you perfect. Know, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> we already know it's the perfect storm. <laughs> yeah, but they don't say know. it again in the movie. Called. They're just living it. That's true. I guess I, yeah, I should could, I should go it. a little easier on the perfect storm. They could, right. they could have gone I a little vague. They could have couched it in dialogue. You could have had somebody say, like... It's you know, a really as, good storm. As storms go, this one is perfect. But isn't a perfect storm, like, a specific term for a type of storm that happens when they're on, like, deep ocean stuff? I don't or am know. I just that's thinking just, that that's not a thing? Am that I just might, you really know what? That, that might actually be a thing. It. I have no idea. It got close. I just remember, like, it, in the theater, I laughed at that part because I was like, oh, that's the title. <laughs> I thought it was funny. But you're right. It, it could very well be what they call yeah. that kind of storm. That a might be true. A storm is a meteorological event aggravated by a rare combination of circumstances. There you go. So, boom. Bam. I, I will admit, Allie, you, you have you've won me over. On the perfect storm's use of the word or of the term the perfect storm. I'm I'm now back in perfect storm camp. I only wish that Wolfgang Peterson had, had the guts to allow that moment to go where it should have, where all the characters, you know, George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, John C. Riley, all those poor doom men on that boat saw that massive wave coming. And instead of perfect storm, one of them could have stared it right down and said, Well, there it is. Countess Dracula. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, that would have been great. And then cut to black. Don't even show anything and else. Then that's the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it ends half an hour in. Yeah. <laughs> Directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Because after storm, and you're like, cool, so that storm was really scary. Cut, People cut would have been Ingrid, like, that would have elevated that Ingrid Pitt, movie. like, clutching like the, bo- like, looking through the bars. <laughs> yeah, I would have been in for that. That would have been good. All right. Somehow, some way, we have reached the end of this Countess Dracula uh, uh, commentary. I, I didn't think we'd make it. We were right. It was a journey. Them. This was a journey. Yeah, sure we- was. So, tell you what. In wrapping up, Allie, wanted to tell folks out there where they can find you at online and uh, what they can keep an eye out for from you in the future. Ooh. Okay. You can find me across all social media platforms at the Allie Chapel, and on August seventeenth. My movie Space Vampire comes out on, I think, Blu-ray, DVD, and on-demand channels. So that's to look forward to in like a week. Now, can we ask, what role are you playing in the movie? I am the Space Vampire. Does anybody actually get to invoke your title, a la Countess Dracula? Because that would actually be great. No, but now I'm thinking we should go back and recut some stuff. Just like dub over like the ending scene, just be like, Space Vampire. It. Oh, please, please do, do it. That. that would be wonderful. <clears throat> I'm excited Amazing. to watch it. Paul, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PaulIsGreat2000. And that's it? And what can I mean, we keep an eye out for from in the future? Oh, yes. Sorry. Um, well, uh, I my, mo- my latest Hammer columns up on Bloody Disgusting. Uh, 
I think I talked about it last time. I think Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. But I got a new one coming out any day now uh, for, I think the next one is Rasputin. Or did I already do that one? I can't remember. Uh, let me see. Yeah, Rasputin should be next. So that should be coming out any day uh, on Bloody Disgusting, and I'll post it when I when I have it up. All right. Thanks, you both, for co-hosting, and thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below, scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Screamatics, and I am at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend.